Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh yeah, you can be king, king, king of these nuts. <laughs> TNA is my world. Welcome to Planet Jarrett. Oh, it's semantics. It's a cello! It's a cello! Triton, have you conquered the great alpha male yet? This is BS! This sucks! I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn! Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 34. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. On this episode, we're talking about March 2005, building up to Destination X 2005. I'm Gary and I'm joined by my spirited co-host, Liam Jones. Liam, hello. I'm spirited, like the spirit squad. Which spirit squad member are you? I'm Kenny Dykstra. I'm, I'm going to look at the other members. There's Mitch. There's Mitch, there's Nikki, yeah, there's Dolph. Johnny, there's Mikey, mm. Johnny. <laughs> you already said Johnny, but sure. Kenny, Mikey, Nikki, Mitch. <laughs> no, Mitch is at the end, so yeah, it's Kenny, Mikey, Nikki, Johnny, Mitch. I am, I'm Johnny, I'm John Jeter. That was a very long, difficult process for you. <laughs> well, I didn't want to pick Dolph. <laughs> Why do you not want to be Dolph? I just, I, I just don't want to be Dolph. It, fe- it feels like the cop-out answer. And you picked Kenny Dykstra, which is objectively the best one. He is the coolest member of the Spirit Squad. DGUSA legend. Oh yeah, and wasn't his match like super clipped in the first show? <sighs> I see, it's been a while since I watched that show. But it's always hilarious to me whenever I put in that, fir- that first DGUSA show. I'm like, oh, Kenny Dykstra's here. Do you remember when he quit his job because he thought he was going to get, like, a WWE run because they brought him in for, like, the the Dolph-Miz feud? Mm. And then they were like, we're not going to hire you. Didn't he have, like, a slight indie revival at that stage as well? Both of them did. Him and um, Mikey, Mike Mondo, they started going around and doing the Spirit Squad shtick. There's worse things that company could do than bring back the Spirit Squad. They built a whole 2006 main event DX angle around the Spirit Squad. I kind of love the Spirit Squad as a Mm. concept because it's like, here is five dudes that are big dorks, right? They're like, male cheerleaders, you're meant to not take them seriously. But then you underestimate the fact, as like in a kayfabe sense, that they are just five super athletic dudes and will just beat the fuck out of you no matter how like silly they look. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the numbers game, and also they're all, like, in incredible shape. <laughs> so there's not much of a chance you have, even if you're not, like, taking them seriously. They also have fantastic green tracksuits. Yeah. So other than the Spirit Squad, what's going on in your life? <laughs> uh, you know, not a lot. 
At a Ring of Honor television taping in April of 2017, Kenny and Mikey unsuccessfully challenged the Young Bucks for the ROH tag team titles. Dream match right there. I kind of want to watch that. <laughs> it would probably be pretty good. Kenny was like the, the hot prospect. He was pretty good. And everyone he was, was also like, like 19, so you, you can't even blame him for trying. Yeah, he was super duper young, and everyone was like, maybe he's actually good post WWE. And then it turned out pretty good was actually a ceiling, but pretty good is pretty good. Yeah. There's a lot of wrestlers who aren't pretty good. We're going to talk a lot of not pretty good on this episode of the podcast, so... Yeah. And then he got rehired. He's a producer now, fun fact. Oh, he is. Yeah, they, they did rehire him. I forgot about that. I wonder if he's one of those guys who are, like, not, like, super... I mean, he had a hell of... Like, the 2006 run was pretty solid, and then, like, he, he popped around since then. But who didn't have, like, a killer career, and then is actually just a really great mind for the business. Hmm. They have a very wacky group of producers these days. Yeah, they, they've kind of just hired everyone. Because there's like, Petey Williams, Abyss, <laughs> Kenny Dykstra, they still have Jamie Noble there. Sanjay became, like, found a whole second life as a producer in that company. Well, it started an impact, but yes. Yes. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, he, like, like apparently is just one of the best at it. The, like, the weird direct impact to WWE producer route that exists... Mm. Or you do get, as I mentioned, PD, you get Sanjay, you get Abyss. Alright, I have I have the list of producers. Mm-hmm. Adam Pearce. Mm. Which, again, is pretty hilarious, because, like, perennial Ring of Honor indie guy is now, like, one of the top guys in that company, like, backstage. Yeah, when you just think of the group of people you're about to list off, and, like, none of them are, like, headline main event WWE. It's not like the... Pat Patterson's of the world from the past, no. you know? Abyss. Mm-hmm. Jamie Noble. Jason Jordan, who is the senior producer. Yeah, he produces a ton of segments. If you look at the... Because Fightful always have the breakdown. And, like, there was an episode of SmackDown recently where he produced, like, four segments. Which is unheard yeah. of. It's usually one or two for a producer. He must be really good at it. He's also only 34. Mm. Also, I've always said it was a crime to change his real name. Do you know Jason Jordan's shoot name? Jason Angle? No. Nathan Everhart. Oh, that's pretty good. As a baby face, too? Like, oh, perfect. Everhart and Gale? You know what? Here's a future Patreon series. We just go through and watch all, like, the NXT tag stuff. Mm. That's some some good... Like, we were talking about self-care shows and the opposite of which. And, um, (laughs) like, NXT tag stuff, that's the one right there. For context there, while I was waiting for Liam to get home to start recording this show, I was watching the end of the ace. That's why we were talking about potential better self-care shows. Yeah. So, Jason Jordan, Kenny Dykstra, Marco Hose, Molly Holly, Petey Williams, Shane Helms, Davari, TJ Wilson. Yeah. Three of those? I guess Davari, I think, bounced back and forth between WWE and Impact, so you can't really claim Davari as an Impact one. But Abyss, and Sanjay's gone, so it is down to Abyss and PD these days as the, the impact representation carrying the, the TNA legacy into WWE. Yeah. I would love, like, a random Abyss rumble appearance or something. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. Like, did you just put him in a rumble? I wonder, like, how much do you think Abyss would be recognized? Because he wouldn't have the music, which wouldn't help. I mean, you could probably ask for the music. You probably could, but... I don't know, because, like, I, I, I wonder how many, like... WWE normies <laughs> like go to a rumble would know Abyss. Yeah, because like Johnny Gargano comes out and gets no reaction. So what hope does Abyss have? 
Yeah. Unless they do like a Florida rumble. <laughs> in Orlando, in the impact zone. Yeah, yeah no, that'd be sick. <laughs> the impact zone rumble. Would you like to see some of the fun names who work at the Performance Center? Sure. Uh, Steve Carino. Mm. You've got, of course, Sarah Del Rey. Santana Garrett. Does she? Yeah. She is a trainer slash assistant coach. Robbie Brookside. Biff Busick. Norman Smiley. You got Albert. You got Fit Finley. You got Tyler Breeze. Even Albert being, like, the guy in their developmental is one of those weird little things, isn't it? Yeah, because wasn't there a thing, and I'm forgetting this now, like, who the... Like, he wasn't ever, like, meant to be there long term. Mm. And they brought in someone to replace him at that level. And then he was just good at it, so he just stuck around forever. I'd imagine the Bill DeMott ousting probably helped his standing as well. He's now the Performance Center head coach and vice president of talent development. Because if you sat down and watched a 2000 WWF show and you saw like a Test and Albert match, and you'd said, that guy there, the bald guy, is future like mm. head of developmental. Mm. Senior manager. That, these titles, man. Companies are fucked. <laughs> yeah, they just come up with any nonsense. I know, right? Like, I can't even think of a fun one here, but like senior vice president of live events. Yeah. <laughs> you need a vice president of live events. That's Jeff Jarrett's old job. And a junior vice president of live events. To report to the senior vice president. Who reports to the president of live events. Mm. That's actually Joe Biden. Oh my God. Explains why they're bad. Hey, oh, oh, oh. Enough. <laughs> Enough politics, there. Garrett. Enough. Stop bringing politics into our podcast. <laughs> Enough on WWE's corporate structure. We are talking about Destination X 2005. But first, you want to talk about Jay Briscoe a little bit? Oh, uh, yeah. It it feels like it's been so long mm. because we haven't done a show in the time period since then. I don't know about you, but I've been watching so much Jay Briscoe. It's been insane. I've been diving around all different eras and times oh it's just the sad like the, i hate to do like you know the sad olympics of wrestler deaths or anything but i i don't know but this one just hit me so fucking hard i was like i w- i couldn't escape like that black cloud hovering over me for days it's i was gonna say funny funny is the the, the wrongest word but we had dawn at the end of december mm. which i think is a very similar like one that hits me really hard emotionally and then mm. for two weeks later, not that I, I am a horrible, uncaring person who doesn't care about Jerry Briscoe's death, but he obviously means a great deal more to you as a, a deep-in-the-weeds Ring of Honor fan than he does to me, a mm. casual Ring of Honor fan who has seen plenty of Briscoe's matches in my day. But to, to have those back-to-back, to like those those real personal ones to us individually, it's, it's it sucks. I think the thing with them, with Jay too, was it, it, like, so I got, it got sent to me, um, I had just woken up. And I read it, and, like, my first instinct was, why did someone send me this fake Tony Khan tweet? Like, just to fuck with me. Mm. Like, I I didn't even comprehend that it could be a real thing. And, yeah, it it hit me like a ton of bricks. I just, like, I just, like, went out for, like, a drive and, like, parked out in, like, a nice park area and just listened to Give Me Back My Bullets on repeat for, like, an hour. Because I, it, it, yeah, it was like that, like sort of internalizing it. I can only really speak from my own sort of takes about it, but because you know, if you want like a full 
retrospective and thing, go listen to the flagship at the time. They had a wonderful segment and a wonderful opening to their show with just the myriad of great Briscoes promos. Oh, seeing that the the day passed where it's just like Twitter was just every second post was a great Jay Briscoe promo. And when you look at that man and look in his eyes as he cuts a promo, he believes every single word out of his mouth. And it kind of ruins other promos for you where you look at other people and it's like, you you don't believe it. You don't even begin to believe it. And then you look at Jay Briscoe and like, that's a real character. That's not, a, sorry, not even a character. That's That's a real person. He's not doing an act. He's not playing a role. And the craziest thing is, by all accounts, he was doing an act. Yeah. Like, like, like it was it was a gimmick. It was a gimmick that he transcended that line and it became real. Like, that's, what, that's the insane thing about Jay Briscoe, is he had an authenticity that you just do not see now. I saw someone, like, make, make a poster at the time where they were talking about how he has, like, the same eyes as Macho Man. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're watching them, like, go through that promo. And like, I was watching a promo when they're talking about it. I was like, he does. He has that same, like, intense, real eyes that you see from Macho Man. That, and there's very, like, another Samoa Joe, I think, is, is a very good example of someone who you see. Even doing silly WWE bullshit, he's one of the very, very few people who can make even that feel legitimate. Like, watching Joe during mm-hmm. that run. And that there's there's not many people that can do those promos and feel real. Like, even MJF, who can do some fantastic promos, every time you're like, that man's doing a professional wrestling promo. Every time. Yeah, he, the, you believe him to be a character. Whereas, you look at Jay Briscoe and that man is just speaking. Yeah, there's not many people where you look at them and you're like, uh, as they do their pro wrestling stick, that you're like, oh, this is this feels like an actual person. You get you legitimately get lost in it. Like you really can get lost in the the character. You believe it. It's still real to me. Mm. Damn it. On like you know, we're, and we've talked about it probably on those earlier shows when he showed up in TNA, where I was like, I consider Jake Briscoe to be one of the best wrestlers of all time, and just reliving a lot of his big top tier matches has kind of reaffirmed that for me because even out like I'm just talking about the single stuff like and to like and despite like just talking about the single stuff he's also maybe in the best tag team of all time <laughs> so yeah when when you think about all the teams from the eras they like just ring of honor teams you can think of the american yeah. wolves you can think of the kings of wrestling you can think of austin aries and roderick strong you can think of the young bucks you can think of scu you can think of and then generico and steen generico and steen just their contemporaries in the company they worked in never mind like motor city machine guns lax amw the usos all those other teams and they're still probably the best team of the last 20 years maybe ever yeah like it it's always been like an internal like uh one and two of the bucks and the briscoes and depending on the last match i saw like it's one or the other you know what i mean like that's that's how good like they were i mean also like maybe one of the most influential teams of all time one of the best in-ring teams of all time they're like the only thing they don't have is is like a a worldwide television run which was which was like as like shitty as it feels that was one of the first things that i thought of was like you know fuck turner Mm. because we could they could have had the last two years on AEW television i'm glad that there's so many people who didn't know about the briscoes that now do know about the briscoes but they could have had that same thing happen in the last two years you know 
They could have had all of these crazy matches in that tag division on worldwide television, and they could have been this known quantity to the the wider context of the pro wrestling fan. And that's like one of the most upsetting things out of out of it from a career perspective over these last few years. And you know, and maybe they like there's a chance that they were even the reason that fucking Ring of Honor didn't get television, <laughs> which is insane as well. It's just a, a horrid mix of these last couple of years, and at the same time, like from a like a business perspective in that way, it's also probably like one of their they had one of their strongest years. <laughs> Yeah, because a few years ago, everyone was like, Briscoe's best team of all time, slowing down a little bit. And then last year, they had three of the best matches of the year. <laughs> and you could and you could, and you you could could see from their perspective, too, is like, they were kind of, um, they were doing the Ring of Honor thing, but that's all they were doing. And they were kind of like running around in circles. And it wasn't really a, a matter of them not delivering. It, I think it was more of a matter of, it's, it must have been kind of hard to get excited about things when you've been doing the same thing for the last decade on a company that hasn't really shown a lot of upward trajectory. And then as soon as, like, you know, the Ring of Honor stuff shut down and they there was they didn't know if they were going to be getting contracts or whatever, they, you felt that fire reignite in them. Yeah, even, like, like, if you go back to Final Battle last year where they had that match against the Kingdom, which mm. I think was, like, the, the, the kind of the start of their killer year as opposed to the, the start of, like, the FTR match in April, which I think... Obviously, more people probably watched. Uh, for me, it was as soon as they started doing NWA. <laughs> that's what that was change everything for you. No, that's when like I felt that fire in them come back because they were doing the heel shtick. Then they were like again cutting these great promos because they had also just been like stalwart baby faces of Ring of Honor for such a long time. Mm. And to like they turned heel and they were doing the NWA stuff and they were like going in there with um, it was. Brody King and it was probably PCO, right? And they were doing that, like, because that was an ROH and and then and the NWA had started collaborating. And, like, that sort of, like, heel run, that's when I was like, oh, the Briscoes, are, they're getting it back, you know? I can feel the fire in them. Then, you know, Ring of Honor was shutting down They had and they had the Great Kingdom match and they, they were talking about how, you know, Ring of Honor's done, but it's not the end of the Briscoes. And that was true. They went out there on the indies. They started killing it. They had the Great Impact run, which is, like, such a cool full circle moment, too, because, like, as we talked about when they did those N- NWA TNA shows at the start, it was a kind of a crazy idea that the Briscoes never were as a staple of TNA. Yeah, and even just one of those things that, like, they never shared a ring with AMW. Which is, ins- I, that's one of the things I was thinking about. It's like, they've wrestled everyone. Mm-hmm. And somehow the AMW, which, which on paper feels like such a slam dunk match and feud to have the Briscoes and AMW colliding, and it, it, it's kind of a mind-blowing, because they even did the LAX one in um, ROH. Yeah, and it's just it's just one of those things. You would have looked at, at like, 04, 05, 06, the two best teams in the world are probably the Briscoes and America's Most Wanted, and somehow they just never wrestled. And it was a nice moment, I thought, both for, like, a, a celebrating TNA 20-year history thing and a celebrating Ring of Honor 20-year history thing, where the first time they did share a wrestling ring was Slammiversary last year. Fair enough, not in, a, not in a wrestling capacity. But it's like AMW and the Briscoes sharing ring celebrating both companies' respective 20-year histories. It was a, a lovely little moment that kind of flew under the radar. And there was even a, a TV six-man tag where Storm teamed with the Briscoes, which I thought was a nice little thing, too. And one thing I, I came out of it, too, like, just you know the the work is one thing i i, I always thought and you, i think you saw it in impact specifically just from some of the segments they did this was such a tv ready act mm. like 
you you saw them doing the the Good Brothers segment on the farm. Uh, that, that honestly, watching that is something that hit me pretty hard. I was like, we're never like there's a there's a good chance we never get another Briscoe's farm segment, which has become such a a staple of my pro wrestling media absorption. Like I. Those segments, whenever you see one, you're like, yes, Briscoe's on the Briscoe farm. And, like, that might be a thing that we don't get anymore. And that's another, like, real sad aspect of it. It's just... I, I, I Whenever I see them, I'm like, these two were, like, made for American television wrestling as well. They, they, they had it all. They had everything. And it's a real shame that we never quite got it on that level. Like, they were on TV forever, you know, Ring of Honor. But it, just just think of how... They obviously have a legacy, and a legacy that's going to stay, like, stay firm with the the pro wrestling fan, but their legacy could have been so much bigger if they were presented on this worldwide scale. And it's hopefully a legacy that Mark can at least fulfill some of going forward. Yeah. The Mark Briscoe-J Lethal match, too. Mm. What a a remarkable piece of pro wrestling that was. Mark Briscoe's a very good pro wrestler. Yeah, and... I mean, like, you know, wrestling doesn't really matter in this kind of circumstances, but it's a wrestling show, so let's talk about wrestling. The the idea of, like, doing Mark versus Claudio at Supercard of Honor, mm. that, and, like, you know, Mark winning the title, that's, that just seems like the thing, you know? Yeah. And also, uh, full credit to Mark as well, like, dealing with all this. Like, just a, a beacon of fucking sunrise, like, during this, like, sad, tumultuous time. Yeah, I was saying to you, like, obviously, I haven't lost one of my brothers, thankfully. So I, I don't know how I would be if I did. But I do not mm-hmm. think I would have near the amount of poise and grace. And almost, like, he's almost still uplifting, which is, like, just utterly remarkable. An immensely strong person. Mm. What a remarkable run to have from an in-ring perspective in the fact that they hit, like, two completely different types of pro wrestling and they excelled to the top level in both. The first half of their career being like these high spotty, innovative tag team matches that are going 100 miles an hour and like, you know, being up there with guys like Marafuji and Kenta as influencing the whole style. And then the back half of this amazing run being like, all right, now let's slow it down and do these methodical brawls and these old school wars that were equally like they excelled in that style as well they they completely switched and they and they still kept it to that level it's insane yeah and like just the longevity as a team is is just well one when you think about how just insanely young they were when they did all of their best stuff they were in their Mm. early 20s sometimes teens which is insane to even think about and like it's it's unheard of for a tag team to have a 20-year run like the young bucks are currently only on 15-ish they'll they'll get there but like for a a 20 plus year run for a tag team is is completely and utterly unheard of in pro wrestling it just does not happen for various reasons and not only a 20 year run a 20 year run on the level of the briscoes it's not just they were around like the rock and roll express still had matches later in their career but they basically didn't have any memorable ones after the 90s until their bizarre resurgence on top yeah, they were a top best team in the world caliber team for 20 years. Like, the Bucks, they're at like 18 or 19 years. But you got to remember, they didn't start breaking out until like 2007, 2008. Mm. So, like, as a top team, it's only been like 15. But the Briscoes, they broke out almost immediately. <laughs> 
in a very competitive scene as well. Uh, and they stood out too. And just Aura. Mm. Like, that is that is a team that just has Aura as heels, as baby faces. It, like, bottled chaos is what they felt like. And you were just waiting for it to fucking, the, the cork to pop, and then the Briscoes were going to go off. As you mentioned, we, we've talked a little Briscoes on this show before, because they popped up for a couple matches in 2002. And as you mentioned, we'll talk a little Briscoes on this show again, very far down the line, for their, their tag title win all the way in 2022. Which is what a cool full circle moment that was, too. Yeah, 20 years later. But uh, what a loss to wrestling. As I said, hopefully, hopefully Mark can carry it forward. And hopefully it gives, like, as a community, like, it gives us the reflection necessary to be like, Maybe if people actually do show meaningful change, we should give them the opportunity. It's very easy to write people off. And a lot of the times I can understand how, like how it is. Cause like, you know, how, how can you trust anyone to actually change and evolve? But like, there's, there is something to be said about the, the, the practice of what's the point of, exp- of wanting people to change. If you, when they do, you still punish them, you know? Yeah, it's where all the, the, like, dumb cancel culture stuff comes from, the people who complain about it. Because, like, it is a, a tricky question to answer of, like, what is the punishment for these kind of indiscretions? And the answer mm-hmm. is, it's always different. It always depends on the circumstances and the person. And it always depends on the amount of contrition and growth they show. And it depends, again, on, like, how severe the thing they did was. And whether or not they're, they're a person with a public platform and how you should treat that differently. And, like, there is no answer to that question. There's none. And it's different for every person because everybody has a right not to accept an apology. Everybody yeah. has a right to, like, not accept forgiveness. That That's their personal right to do so. So it's it's one of those things where, like, that's where the, oh, you just cancel people. It's like... It's a really complicated question to answer, and one, as I said, that just doesn't have one. It'll be different in every single scenario, and in this case, as, as we already we talked a little about, did like Warner Bros. Discovery, a, a company that has showed their ass in a lot of ways in the last six months, but particularly in this situation, where it was very, very clear that Jay Briscoe was a person who did that work, and people who I would trust vouched that he did that work, and they still held that against him. It's a tough thing. And I'm maybe it's because it's a you know a thing that's really only popped up in the last decade or so, but we don't really have like an answer for how to do it yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like how to allow reintegration from people who have seemingly made real life positive change, and that's like a a thing that um now we are we are on the other side of where it's like how many people. Is that going to be a situation like that? You know, it's like, it's a very interesting sidebar from a very necessary societal step. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, when when you think about what, cynically, what's the way you should probably respond to this to have the, the least damage done to yourself? It's ignore, deny, keep going as as is. And for the most part, you won't be punished. That's the thing about the people keep on going on about cancel culture, but for the most part, people people that have been quote unquote cancelled can just keep their head down, push on, and Dana White still gets his television show. <laughs> like that that's ultimately what happens in the end. Like mm. bad people are not punished. So th- that's also like the other side of it. Like there there is no real punishment. It's really like whether or not you're willing to do that work and take yourself out of situations yourself. Unless you mm. you commit like real horrible indiscretions, in which case you are largely forced out of play public spaces. But 
yeah, it's 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 one of those where, as I said, there's 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 no correct answer there. There will never be a correct answer. So that's the reason you get the worst people shouting about it in the worst way, and everyone else trying to like fumble their way through it. Yeah. But on that point, you can head to dnhat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me, segue king, where you can get all our Patreon content, our new PWG show, the first episode of which is out now, covering Kurt Russell Reunion 3. That's up on our Patreon feed. Our Destination X 2005, the show we're talking about, our watch along for that show, which went somewhat off the rails. It's been a while since we've had a truly unhinged piece of audio. Mm Mm-hmm. But that was a return to form. Uh, a truly off-the-rails, unhinged piece of audio sitting there in your Patreon feed on the $10 tier now. Honestly, like, you don't even need to watch the show with it. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, you can just chuck it on as a podcast. Just go for a walk and listen to us lose our minds at this wrestling show that we will try to analyze in just a moment. I don't even remember a lot about it. <laughs> like, my, my brain has removed it from its its cognitive abilities. It, I cannot recall a single thing. All I remember is that it was completely unhinged, and then, like, six hours later, I had a mental breakdown over wrestling media, and I think those two things are related. You can't have you watching bad TNA shows anymore, I guess. Dusty has let us down! But you can go listen to our full Ring King series, our full Monday Night War series. I see a lot of people are doing, like, because Laps Fan are currently doing a, a 2010 retrospective, so I see a lot of renewed interest. Shake my damn head. <laughs> TNA is ours! We own it! You're not allowed to We already did that era! <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to infringe on our territory. Yeah, the Laps Fan with your th- th- Thousands of thousands of patrons. <laughs> but if you would like to uh, listen to our full 2010 Monday Night War podcast series covering Raw and Impact, that's in your Patreon feed as well, teenagehat.com, as well as Raintakers, our ongoing New Japan show where we cover New Japan from 10 years ago. You know what the thing is, Garrett? Yep. The Labs fan have a $33 tier, and that's what <laughs> I think we need to we need to start investing in. I think you have to build up to the $33 tier. Hmm... <laughs> But on the $5 tier, you can also get our Global Force show, and you can also get our full Wrestling Society X show. All that, patreon.com slash gettingmetnhad.com. We've had a, frankly, fantastic month on Patreon, as you make jokes about our tiers, but we've we've had our record-breaking month, and we really do appreciate everybody who goes there and gives us a few bucks, and we hope the content you get in return is worth that few bucks. Uh, you can also get show notes, ad-free episode, star ratings, all that fun stuff. tnhad.com, patreon.com slash me. Zombie WCW. Zombie WCW is still up. You can go to Zombie WCW, which TK said in a quote once. Oh, Liam just sent me the amount of money the laps fan make. (laughs) (laughs) But nonetheless, the dollars you give us are still greatly appreciated. Um, Everyone who subscribes to them, just come over here. Come on. You want to hear about Kurt Russell Reunion 3? We have the show for you, pal. You want to hear about Chris Cadillac? Which brings us to the month that was March 2005, TNA. Liam, a pretty dire month of professional wrestling. Yeah, okay. So we might as well do a big point about it because the storyline stuff isn't a lot. Mm. <laughs> like, there isn't a lot happening. We have the TVs this month. Of which are there four? A remarkably nothing. Like, there's really nothing on them at all. It's just a bunch of X Division stuff that doesn't really achieve anything. Mm. For a reference point, the thing that I came out of this month the most excited about was the Lex Lovett Buck Quartermain fucking undercard story of these two being like big dorks that are trying to get their wins and like they're just hanging out backstage in every segment. 
And I kind of love those two. That's been my biggest, like, takeaway from this month. I watched these shows, did not internalize any of it, as we learned during the, the watch-along. I went back and re-watched the shows, and I'm pretty sure I still haven't internalized anything about them, so... We were talking about it last month, and that they did the exact same thing, where if you come out of the first impact, they have more or less the entire pay-per-view lineup set. Where it's like DDP Jarrett for the title, you get Abyss and Hardy in another stipulation match, you get Nash against the Jout Law, <laughs> the dude, Billy yes. Cunn, you get AMW have disappeared for the month, you're getting an Ultimate X match for the X Division title, and I believe there was, oh, Dustin and Raven was made a bull rope match real quick. So that's pretty much like six of the pay-per-view matches were made coming out of the first impact, even some of them going into the first impact. So they're like, we have our pay-per-view built, we put together the card, we're done. <laughs> that's what they do every time. Mm. It's like they put together the card, which fine, good job, great job getting your pay-per-view matches out there early. Thumbs up, that's what you should do. And instead of building to those matches... They just stop. It's just like, we'll see you in March. Everything else until then is more or less filler. Doesn't matter. And it's it just leads to just utterly empty television. The best of which, you get a couple of decent TV main events. The highlight of which is an AJ Styles Kid Cash match, which might be the best match of the month. Which is rare to get on Impact, to get a good television match on Impact. But for the most part, it's a nothing month full of nothing television building to an actively bad pay-per-view. Uh, maybe the worst pay-per-view i've seen ever from this company okay. i'm sure there's some WWE stuff that's worse but i don't know like it's it's got to be pretty bad when like the best match is like three and a quarter and there's two duds on it mm. minimum of two duds if you wanted to go more than two duds i would not begrudge you there is a horrendous first hour in particular it is broken a little because you get a, a pretty decent hardy and abyss match but like when you look at the the matches that that are in the first hour of that show, they're just oh dear god! And you get some back to back terrible matches as well. It's it's not good. It's a bad month. It's a bad month, Dusty. What are you doing? What have you done here? Five matches on this card that I had below one point five. <laughs> Let's get into it all. The big story of the month, Frankie Kazarian is gone. He's jumped to the Fed. He showed up on one of the tapings and he's like, you made me job to a NASCAR driver. He was out of contract, so he didn't quite quit or walk out. Well, he did. He's like, I'm leaving. But he's also out of contract, so he could leave. But he's like, I the, the whole Jeff Hammond thing, losing to Jeff Hammond on pay-per-view, being pinned by Jeff Hammond on pay-per-view. Thumbs down, I'm going to WWE. The fact that that's the reason is pretty funny. It's Well, it is more of a, like a straw breaking the camel's back moment where I, I don't think they were particularly happy as I think we've commented a few times in the previous episodes. They've been downcycled pretty dramatically. So mm. I think he was already pretty unhappy and like there is tentative plans at this stage to turn Shane and Kazarian face an AMW heel, AMW to work a program with the Rhodes against Dusty and Dustin, which probably would have rocked if it ever happened. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that their plan was to flip those and probably go with babyface Shane and Kazarian perhaps as champions down the line. And he just didn't care about any of that. And he was like, peace out, suckers. I'm I'm gone. Yeah, well, you know what? If you're not under contract and you feel that strongly about it, feel free. Yeah, so Frankie the Future Kazarian, who had been working without a contract for TNA, quit last week and said goodbye via a website address. Sources say he was upset with being disrespected by Dusty Rhodes when he protested how he was used with Jeff Hammond at the last pay-per-view. When he wrote about his decision on his website, he did not make any negative comments about Dusty or anyone. He wrote, quote from Frankie, I am in fact no longer with TNA Wrestling. I had been wrestling. Great impression. 
<laughs> I had been wrestling without a contract since last year, and I made the decision to end my partnership with the company and pursue other opportunities in the world of professional wrestling. I cannot stress enough that this was my decision and no one's fault. Sometimes we reach points in our personal and professional lives that we must make decisions that hurt a great deal, and this has been one of them. I want to thank everybody involved in TNA. From day one, I was always treated with respect and class. I had the most fun in my career these past two years with TNA. I also want to thank Dixie Carter, a truly classy woman and someone I consider a good friend and an even better person. Jeff and Jerry Jarrett gave me a platform to do what I love on a national level, and for that, I will for be forever grateful. I thank them for having the confidence in me to represent their company as a champion on two different occasions. Everyone in the office, Bob Ryder, Tim Welsh, Bill Banks, Scott Hudson, Jerry Borsch, the amazing announced duo of Mike Tanay and Don West, I consider terrific people and very good friends. The friendships I forged in TNA mean more to me than anything. It is with a heavy heart that I say goodbye. I was going to say, you just read his impact promo. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, literally, <laughs> he is very gracious and decent on his way out. And he did the exact same thing, leaving AEW to go back to Impact. It's like, great stuff, friends, pals, appreciate the opportunity, but I've got to bet on myself. And it's funny to see him do the exact same thing here, leaving Impact for the first time, heading to WWE. A true pro's pro. Yeah, he understands, like, obviously, he just returned for what is his third run in Impact. Which I'm actually, like, pretty excited about. He's had a kind of a killer run this last year and a half. Like, whenever he gets the opportunity to have, like, a match longer than three minutes, mm. he kind of knocks it out of the park. So I'm pretty, like, excited for what he's going to end up doing in Impact. I think he has had arguably, like, the, the best singles matches of his career in the last 12 months. The ones against Saban, the ones against Mike Bailey, against Josh Alexander. Tremendous stuff. Also, one that a lot of people may not have seen, but you should go search out, him and Takeshita from Dark. Mm. They killed it together. So yeah, it's, it's fun to, to watch him be like, yeah, the, the exact same tone of, of the message. As I said, he's, he's smart. He doesn't burn his bridge. He, he knows that there is some day where he will have to come back to TNA, and he does twice, as mentioned. And there may be some day where he has to go back to AEW, and he has left that bridge open to him because he's a pro, and he gets pro wrestling. He's the opposite of low-key, really. Mm. Which is ironic, because they're professional. <laughs> Uh, Kazarian teamed with Shannon Moore in a dark match win over Big Vito and Nunzio at SmackDown, so he was then signed to a developmental deal. We'll talk about Frankie Moore in a year and a half, I guess. We will see you soon, the coolest. The end of the coolest run. I guess he wasn't the coolest for a while still, but still, the end of the coolest Frankie Kazarian. They were calling him the coolest. It's a fun note, when he had the little like meltdown backstage about losing to Jeff Hammond on the day of Against All Odds, Douglas was officially like announced to wrestlers that day as the new liaison with The Office, so he's like not quite head of talent relations, but if you have an issue, go to Franchise, and then he will... Don't bother us. <laughs> it's pretty much that. It's like like have the buffer between the talent and like Dusty and Jarrett and Dixie, so that they go to Douglas and then Douglas goes to them. On the very first day, the, like the, there was that blow up and people thought that Douglas kind of G'd them up a little as opposed to calmed them down, which is probably the role he should have played. And instead, he kind of riled them up and people weren't happy about franchising his first night kind of heading talent relations. Mm. Like, uh, you kind of need someone in that role. You, you can. Like, when you're booker and you're owner and you're dealing all with all that, you really can't deal with every talent problem yourself, nor should you really. Yeah. The problem is you need to actually have someone, I'm not saying that Shane Douglas wasn't this guy, I, I don't know, I didn't deal with him, but you you need to have someone who is actually actively making strides in those departments, so you can't just have someone who listens to the problems and then doesn't do anything about it. 
Yeah, or you, you need someone to, to do the Vince thing where it feels like he's listened to you and, and, and shown your concerns. And then when he fires you, you leave the company and say, he loved me. You need to have a, a John Laurinaitis type who was the bad guy to take all the shit and then people go, no, but Vince always, he believed in me. Mm. <laughs> so franchise is in that role, clearly. Jerry Jarrett could not understand why Sean Waltman was upset that he wasn't used at the TV taping two days after he debuted at Against All Odds or returned at Against All Odds PW Torch. He was in the company before because he was still being paid the same. Waltman skipped a court date in California that ended up having a warrant out for his arrest so he could attend the TV tapings and then was not used. Probably probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> Especially because Dave estimates he's probably being paid like two grand per appearance. And the fact that he was flown in means he was paid his, his appearance fee and he was not used. And this is a company that is bleeding money. Also, it's like, Sean Wellman, just put him on like a random mid-card match. That was going to be my other point. Like, this month is dire. You know what would have made it better? Sean Wellman matches. Yeah. Just do like a couple and then give him a decent pay-per-view match against... You could have just done him and Saban. Yeah, if you did a nice little one-month Sean Waltman-Chris Saban program built into a darn good little Chris Saban-Sean Waltman match that you did the Shocker debut for after anyway. Like, thumbs up. It would have been better than what they did, which is nothing. Yeah. Waltman, who is now living close to his family in Florida, has been attending the television tapings even though he hasn't been used. TNA management agreed to pay him for TV events even if they don't use him on TV. The plan is to introduce him on TV after Destination X. Since he wasn't scheduled to be part of the pay-per-view, they didn't draw attention away from the wrestlers who were in the meantime. Mm. This is we're building to a little six-man tag at lockdown. The plan is DDP, Kevin Nash, and Waltman against the Jout Law, Kevin, Jeff Jarrett, and another partner of their choosing. One of my favorite little things, uh, employee gotten to, we'll have a lot of these in TNA history. <laughs> Bill Banks wrote on the TNAWrestling.com website, Nash took the against all odds about so seriously he didn't sleep at all the night before. He knew what it meant not only for himself, but TNA as well. Since the pay-per-view, I've seen some backhanded compliments for the main event by a lot of so-called quote-unquote wrestling journalists out there yeah go off bill <laughs> instead of the smug comments i'd invite some of you to grow a set and admit you were wrong in the first place i don't say that to be condescending but to give credit words to first of all i do think you're saying it to be condescending <laughs> yeah liam has added to the show notes quote unquote liam gave the match four to quarter stars yeah, uh, you know, a real wrestling journalist over here, baby. It was funny, though. We were talking on the watch-along for that show and a little bit on the Destination X one as well about whether Nash, like, cares about these matches. And apparently he did, according to Bill Banks. Yeah, he didn't sleep the night before because of that. That was the reason he didn't sleep. <laughs> no other. No other potential reason Nash had a sleepless night. On his uh, tag team partner, there are no plans to bring back Scott Hall at this time. The company is willing to do business with him, but they are letting him sort out his personal life first. Hall has once again split up with his wife, Dana, and his friends say he has hit a lower version of rock bottom than he ever has before, to the point of there being extreme concern for his personal safety. And Dave talks about how, like, his, his like I think kidneys are messed up. Kidneys or liver. Either way, his, his health is, is deteriorating at this stage. It's It's not a good time for Scott Hall in 2004. TNA has trademarked the names Bound for Glory, Fuel, and Hard Justice. Yeah, the three famous TNA pay-per-views. How would you have felt about Fuel as a, a potential show uh, name? 
would they have used Metallica's Fuel as the theme? Fuel feels more like a TV show name than a than a pay-per-view name, doesn't it? It's the fuel for the impact which causes an explosion. That ties it all together. It wouldn't be a very good TV show name, but like TV, oh, wrestling well, TV shows are always one word. I, I was thinking about this a while ago. I was like, why is the wrestling TV name convention what it is? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's always like, WrestleFuck crash you know what i mean like it's usually pardon the pun a one word kind of high impact statement so you get raw and smackdown and thunder and nitro and dynamite and rampage and explosion and impact they're all like like action words to be fair like what is the alternative you know yeah wrestling show on television yeah Uh, uh, because i remember like when dynamite and rampage came out you're like we're just doing this still like it doesn't feel old hat at this point or something but like, yeah, what else would you call them? I, I I do not know. It's a catchy one-word name to to indicate it is exciting. That that's what all of these are. TNA exciting. You could just go exciting. You're right with an X. That could be the X Division show. Of course, Fuel never made it. Hard Justice will be the May pay per view, and Bound for Glory will be the headline pay per view in October. Say the term. Bound for Glory. No, it's the WrestleMania. <laughs> it's their World Series and Super Bowl, I'll have you know. <laughs> it's their Wrestle Kingdom. Alex Shelley, who is not being used, asked for a release in January and still hasn't... Yeah, what the fuck? Still hasn't heard back. Uh, later in the month, it was confirmed that he is, ha- has, in fact, gotten his release. Well, good, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so Shelley is out for another four months in which he is then back in. What does he come? Does he come back doing the paparazzi production shtick? No, he's a regular X Division guy because it, it makes sense that uh, Scott Demore gets the book and some of the guys he brings back in are Shelley, which of course long term trainee, and Samoa Joe is like the big one. That the, the, the guys, the Scott is like, what if we have good wrestlers on the show again? <laughs> I'm very excited for more Alex Shelley. You may not know this, but I'm a pretty big fan. He has a nice little series with another man who debuts this month, Shocker. He has a nice little three-match series. I remember hearing about the Shocker Shelly stuff. They're not like blow-away matches. Shelly doesn't like wrestle Lucha guys much on US TV, so it's nice to see him like flex that skill set a little bit. Mm. Uh, Sanjay's also apparently through with the company. The feeling seems to be that Dusty Rhodes is a is largely disdainful of most of the X Division guys, even though they're carrying his pay-per-views. <laughs> But also, he's TV. <laughs> yes, TV's fucking full of them. And useless matches, which don't help any of them. But his TV is absolutely full of them this month. Interesting. I don't know. I don't, I don't get why people have an aversion to the exhibition stuff. I kind of get why Dusty does. But, like, it's not like you're being forced to make it the top thing in the company. You don't see its value as, like, a part of the show. Mm. Dusty here seems very different from the Dusty of NXT. Mm. Where, like, the Dusty of NXT is, like, this kind of loving father figure, and, like, the Dusty of TNA is, like, this harsh dad who you desperately want the approval of, but he never gives it to you. Perhaps he mellowed out. Yeah, in the, like, four years in between. Or maybe it is the case that, like, you know, he's like, my TNA run didn't go great because I rubbed too many people the wrong way by being a bit of a, a stern leader. So maybe I need to show a softer touch. Maybe he did actually just learn from this experience. Well, he, he's been in charge of pro wrestling companies for a long time. Yeah, since like the 80s. Garrett, there's some breaking news. Oh, what is it? Is it NXT news? No, it's Kota Ibushi news. Oh, good. His opponent for Bloodsport has been announced. Who is it? Speedball, Mike Bailey. That is the correct and obvious choice. Well done. I was very worried it was going to be Josh Barnett. So I will take Ibushi versus 
Bailey. Like when they announced, like obviously Janelle was always going to be the Spring Break match. Come on, but when they announced the Bloodsport date as well, it's like it should be Speedball, and if it's not Speedball, it's a mistake. It should be Speedball or someone wild, like fucking Tank Abbott. But <laughs> if it's not like Tank Abbott, Speedball will do. Bob Sapp. If it was Bob Sapp, I'd lose my shit. That would be sick. So yeah, it was e- it was either Speedball for a good match or some wild like Ken Shamrock match, you know? Yeah. Just like some complete like crazy name. Dusty is apparently high on Styles and Daniels as individuals, however, despite his disdain for the X Division. <laughs> disdain for the X Division is so funny. Yeah, like Dave mentions that you can see like classic Dusty booking tropes and that when he was booking the territories back in the day, the Battle Royal was the big match and he overdid it to death. And now here it's like the Ultimate X was a hit, so let's do it again. The cage match was a hit, so let's do a show with two cage matches, uh, perhaps more by the time we get to April. But uh, he's, he's like playing the hits to the point of exhaustion already. Yeah, the man loves to find something that seemingly works and then just does it all over and over again. Beat it into the ground. Mm. The name New Age Outlaw for Billy Gunn was cleared by TNA Legal, so they at least feel it's okay to use, given they stopped mm. at Imagine Something Changed Here. They found a better name, obviously. The Outlaw. There, there is no note about like why it changed from the New Age Outlaw to the Outlaw, because the, the Dave says here apparently WWE has no trademark on the name, and I, I'd imagine that turned out not to be true, because I'd have a hard time imagining WWE didn't have a trademark for one of their top attitudes. For like, an act that was pr- like pretty popular at, at its time. For what it was, a borderline headline act. I, I would have... so, yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily... <laughs> but maybe. Who knows? Apparently there was a car racing team that had it, but abandoned the use of it. But either way, he went from being called the New Age Outlaw to just the Outlaw in a way that was ham-fistedly edited out of video packages, which tells me something changed here. Yeah, another L for the TNA legal team. Another L for the TNA editing <laughs> team, because they did, oh my God. they did not smoothly take the phrase New Age out of that video package. Like, there was like one more frame of it and it would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, because the reason we've been calling him the Joutlaw is because in a video package that were running down the card, they were like, the New Age Outlaw will face Kevin Nash in a, a taped fist first blood match. And then when they aired that video later in the month after they changed the name from the New Age Outlaw to just the Outlaw, they very, very ham-fistedly took it, like a scissors to that tape to cut out the words New Age, but left a little bit of the j- from New Age in, so it's the Joutlaw will face Kevin Nash. A lot of people call me the Joutlaw. Uh, the last Joutlaw. Yeah, I've been thinking about how Jarrett just took the last Joutlaw name. From his old pal Billy Gunn. Mm. I wonder if Billy's confronted him backstage at AEW. He should have. They should feud. They should have a match on AEW television, mostly so I can send tweets about them teaming and how it's a callback. Mm-hmm. I had a good one this month. I, I didn't even think about that one. Yeah, you, you recognized that the, the Mountain Dew pitch black match was quite similar to the Dark Carnival match from NWATNA with the ICP. Imagine, like, you have all the money in the world. Yes. An infinite amount of resources. Mm-hmm. You you want to do, like, a, a cool neon light up match. And then you, like, half-arsed it in that way. Yep. Like, go all out. Make it a fucking mess of colour. It should be fucking Splatoon. <laughs> it should be cyberpunk pro wrestling is what it should be. Mm. But alas, we just we just got like a, a weird lightsaber and some orbies. It's like they just sent Jeff Hardy out there for 20 minutes. and He, he got his neon paint and like, there you go, job done. Yeah. Come on, guys. Some alternate names that were suggested for the Joutlaw. Ooh, fun. Mr. Ace. Yeah, 
Oh, well, it's nice of Billy to represent the Ace community. Yeah, Mr. Ace, or Ace Derringer. Ace Derringer is some FCW shit right there. <laughs> Can you imagine him showing up to be called Ace Derringer? By God, that's that's Ace Derringer. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ace amuses me. Obviously, wordplay on Mr. What's Ace. What's Mr. Ace doing in the Impact Zone? <laughs> what is Mr. Ace doing in the Impact Zone? It's a good question. He will eventually become Kip James. Which I love the name Kip James. I don't know why. It just it tickles a part of my brain. Mm. This show, TNA Impact, is getting a little WWE mid-card. Yeah, you have a lot of people hanging about, don't you? And which have obviously is kind of one of the bigger historical problems with the promotion. And if I'm honest, like this is the month where like Dustin's become an unwelcome presence for me at this stage. Yeah, like if, if you took Dustin out and you put Ace Derringer in, mm. like as a one for one, I think that's fine. But it's just it's a little too many of the same kind of caliber talent. Too many Nashes and Joutlaws and DDPs and BG Jameses. But I can understand a Nash, he's a star. Mm-hmm. DDP has cachet. My problem is like, you know, what will be- as we saw in the 2010 series, which we did first. We invented covering 2010 wrestling. We, we invented covering 2010 TNA. Where they like had Orlando Jordan and like fucking nasty. It's a little too much like that now. Yeah. Where guys who don't necessarily bring a lot of value being put on the show because they were in a different company. Because we've always said, you can't begrudge a company for bringing in a Kurt Angle or a Christian Cage. Mm-hmm. I can begrudge you for bringing in a Dustin Rhodes at this point. Yeah, but like Billy Gunn's teetering on the edge. Billy Gunn's a guy that could have... And a road dog. Yeah, Billy. Billy's a guy that could have gone either way, where it's like, maybe there is a, a TNA redemption arc there for Billy Gunn in the same way there was for, like, Matt Hardy to become Broken Matt Hardy or Sting to become Joker Sting. (laughs) That's the Sting value? Of course. But, like, my point is reinvention. Like, there is an opportunity for reinvention. And Steve Macklin, the phenomenal example of people didn't even know he was good. (laughs) People didn't even know he's a good professional wrestler. And everyone was like, wait a minute. So, like, there is, like, that potential avenue. Like, Billy Gunn's a guy who was big. He was pretty good. He did get a singles push that was derailed for multiple reasons in WWE that didn't work out. So, like, maybe he could have been good, but it's very clear very quickly that he's not particularly good. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, the same thing with Dustin. I can understand doing it and giving it a shot, but, like, you have to cut bait eventually. Yeah, and take the Son of the Booker thing out. Like, Dustin's a great wrestler. Had the first great match in AEW history. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, Dustin Rhodes in the year 2005, nothing going on. For whatever reason. Mm. AJ Styles in an interview this past week said he prefers the X-Vision style and loves to wrestle people like Chris Saban <laughs> and Petey Williams. My favorite thing about AJ is like he does these interviews like every few months where he's like, I like to wrestle. <laughs> he's like, uh, I like doing Ring of Honor because I get to wrestle. Mm. I like doing the X-Vision stuff because I like to wrestle. <laughs> he's sick of carrying these old heavyweight asses. Yeah. Don't worry, AJ. You won't be near that any time. He said he hopes to get a big race when his contract is up in six months. He has openly talked of trying to get to SmackDown to wrestle Mysterio and Guerrero if he doesn't get a raise. I, I wonder, I always wonder what, like, because this is a, a second party characterization of the interview. Like, that could always be, like, that the interviewer being like, if he did go to WWE, who would you like to wrestle? And he might have said Mysterio and Guerrero. Without hearing the context of the interview, I wouldn't put too much stock in that. Mm. According to Dave, that being said, <laughs> Mysterio and Guerrero would be good. Match. He's had the the Mysterio match. Did he? Did he wrestle Eddie? 
Um, I'll I'll Google it while you talk about this. I know he didn't have that many matches in that little like 2002 run, but he might have, he might have wrestled them at some stage, maybe in some kind of three way. But according to Dave, there's a number of people who are potentially looking at WWE when their contracts are up, including Styles and Monty Brown and others. And obviously, Frankie jumped this month, so there there's a lot of people potentially looking at TNA as a, a maybe sinking ship and potentially uh, eyeing up a big money deal in WWE or frankly a money deal in WWE. Uh, he did not wrestle Eddie, but he did wrestle Chavo on multiple occasions. Yeah, there's the whole, th- the, 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 the Impact 6, I guess, where they kind of redid the SmackDown 6, but with Impact. Yeah, Guerrero, Hernandez, Styles, Angle, Daniels, Kazarian. Yeah, where they did that for like six months. It was pretty good. They had some good tags and singles. Mexican America? No, that was uh, Hernandez and Anarchia. Anarchia. Who was Anarchia? He was Anarchia. Was he anyone else? No, he was a bad wrestler. Oh, uh, what's the last Hernandez match? He did some Impact stuff last year. I'm sure he's doing Indies. He's doing CWE. Good for him. He... Oh, they did an LAX reunion at Circle 6 last year. Did nobody notice? Apparently. Oh, well, did you notice it? And I feel like if you didn't... No, I didn't, so... <laughs> he wrestled Chris Masters on some Texas Indie. Dream match. All right, Hernandez, we'll get to you eventually. We've already gotten to you. <laughs> We'll get to you again, eventually. Have you already forgotten the, the Elite Guard? The, the Elite. I can't blame you for banishing the Elite Guard from your memory, I guess. <laughs> Hernandez should join All Elite Wrestling. It's the full circle moment. Yeah, it's the, he's finally the Elite. How can it be All Elite without the Elite Guard? It's true, they gotta get Collier and Onyx there, too. Yes. Oh, what a trio's titles match. Oh, Jarrett's there. They should actually show up as Jarrett's, like, Elite Guard. They should do it. Oh, TK, come on. Okay, we'll get back in the DMs and tell him. Not that Dave expects anything to come of this, but discussions have been opened between Jeff Jarrett and The Rock. But he he ain't dead, he ain't The Rock. That's true. He's like, I took it out of my theme song, now come work for us. That's <laughs> so fucking funny. Hey, The Rock would eventually appear. Yeah, TNA legend The Rock, who did the, the Hall of Fame video for Ken Shamrock. Excuse you, Impact Legend The Rock. That's true. My favorite little anecdote about that video is that if you watch that video and then watch his endorsement of Joe Biden for president. Yeah, he hit like three in a row. It was great. He was wearing the exact same clothes with the exact same backdrop. So he stood there and he banged out the Ken Shamrock Hall of Fame video and the endorsement of Joe Biden for president of the United States in the same afternoon. Absolutely fantastic I'm, pre- I'm pretty stuff. sure he hit like four different things <laughs> in that time period. Like if there's one thing The Rock can do, it is like adequately prepare his schedule the man is as a pro <laughs> jared initiated contact in the past week rock told jared he's interested in talking after his schedule gives him time to breathe when he's done promoting be cool so far things have been described as can't be more positive as far as rock being cordial to jared although nothing specific has been talked with the, like this is the weird period where like rock's contract came up and they forgot to renew it and he just left the wwe Sorry, I'm just looking at the Be Cool IMDb. Don't tell me to be cool, Liam. I am cool. This is a a hell of a cast for a movie I've never heard of. You've never heard of Be Cool? No. I think I've seen Be Cool. It was on TV once, but I don't remember a single solitary thing about it. I was eight when it came out. John Travolta, Uma Thurman, The Rock, Vince Vaughn, Andre 3000, Cedric the Entertainer, Steven Tyler. (laughs) It was during the the early days of The Rock in Hollywood where he was doing like Walking Tall and stuff like that. Danny DeVito, James Woods, Wyclef Jean, 
Fred Durst? Or he still had, like, that small modicum of charisma to him, and then he was good in roles, as opposed to these days where he is the dead-behind-the-eyes PR beef bot who just churns out the same meathead role over and over again. I have nothing to say about The Rock's influence in the media landscape. Bleep bloop The Rock. So, if The Rock came to TNA in the year 2005, Mm -hmm. what do you think he'd be doing? Um, he would be NWA champion, Garrett. Feuding with Jeff Jarrett. Based on everything else, Jeff would find a way to politic his way into beating him, and then The Rock would leave. I think that, like, listen, Jeff Jarrett's an all-time finesse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he can finesse his way over beating The Rock. <laughs> listen here, Dixie. He's not going to be here for the long haul. I mean, he might get the win back from The Rock. No, he wouldn't. If The Rock if the Rock beat him, <laughs> he's definitely not getting the win back. That's never happening. In a three-way with, like, AJ that he pins AJ. Yeah. I want to see The Rock versus Monty. Oh, wouldn't that rule? Oh, they're promo battles? Some people are like, Monty's a poor man's rock, and I'm just like, shut the fuck up. He would have a pitch black match. <laughs> no, it would be a dark carnival match, Liam. Oh, thank God. Sponsored by the Insane Clown Posse. We should get the ICP to sponsor us. How do you think the ICP feel about The Rock? Let's ask him. How do you think The Rock feels about the ICP? At Violent J. <laughs> oh no, what is Violent J's Twitter? How dare you not know Violent J's Twitter off the top of your head? It is the real Violent J, of course. <laughs> Makes sense. Hey, how do you feel about Dwayne The Rock? question mark if you google the rock insane clown posse you do find one hit of him wearing an icp shirt in the 90s oh give me that i'm gonna attach it to the the tweet <laughs> the rock, ICP. hell yeah that's a cool shirt i'd rock that haha <laughs> i assume you found the photo yourself yeah 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 i made a great that's a web p file just save it as dot jpeg that's right i'll just snipping tool it so please let me know if you get a response from Violent J with by the end of the podcast. Oh, I'm tweeting it from the podcast account. <laughs> you will know. It's funny, when we did the WWA show, you'll listen where we are trying to work out what Hiroyoshi Tenzan was doing at that show. Mm. And I did at JB, but he responded after the show. And he's like, maybe he was just there to enjoy a wonderful product. Yeah, he went to one of the Vegas magicians or something. <laughs> maybe he is a Vegas magician. I like people who don't know our Twitter account. Being like, oh, just you wait until this thing happens. It's like, no, that's a person who like follows me too. So it's like, I, I, I'm aware. I'm aware Jeff Hardy does a bigger swanton. Thank you very much. It's in, it's in all of the things. So yeah. Have you ever seen the show? So yeah, The Rock, Jarrett, have a little chat. All right. Well, I've tweeted Violent J. Hopefully he responds in time. One of those, keep this little one in the, the back of your mind. The announcement came this week that Spike TV had pulled out of negotiations to renew its contract for WWE Monday Night Raw and the WWE's other cable properties leaves the USA Network as a probable home for WWE on cable after the contract expires in September. So there's all sorts of reasons about how Spike's like, we're getting out of wrestling, we don't make the ad money back, blah 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 uh, By all accounts, WWE were quite blindsided by this because they were still negotiating and Spike just sent out a two-sentence statement saying, yeah, we're done, bye. And then there was like that weird contentious period where obviously they went back to USA and they were trying to plug that they were going back to USA on Spike and Spike would like censor it. Yeah. So This period rules. I love this. Mm-hmm. And there's 
perhaps something to be said about the idea of because I think Spike's eventual thing was like we can just get this other wrestling property for like a third of the price or some shit. You know what I mean? Like a lot less than a third, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a fraction of the price, and it's like perhaps other big networks that are currently paying billions for a product will will be like, hey, you know what we could get for a fraction of the price? And have much greater return on the investment, huh? Huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, keep the fact that Spike have cut WWE in your mind when we're talking about October. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then keep it in mind some years later. Well, yes, because TNA will be on Spike. Or do you mean now? <laughs> no, well, yes, but I, I, I meant when they left Spike. Amicably. As another sign of cost cutbacks at TNA, the newly released schedule shows that there will be regular triple tapings. Three weeks of taping on one date in Orlando. So they have multiple triple tapings as well as Lockdown coming up where the two planned matches for Lockdown were Styles versus Abyss and Dusty and Dustin Rhodes versus the newly turned AMW. I wonder if Styles and Abyss would have a good cage match. We'll never know. Ooh, there's truly no way of knowing. Mm. I think the big reason the AMW turn was ditched was because if you watched the Dustin Rhodes against Raven match, the crowd have turned on him. (laughs) So, yeah. I don't think they were entirely sure that Dustin would be a babyface in that scenario. (laughs) And it might spoil the AMW heel turn. Also, Dusty's been acting like a real son of a bitch on screen, so. Well, he's only just uh, having women fight over his love. It's fine. After that comes a pay-per-view on the 15th of... May, which is Hard Justice, I don't think it's named yet. And then Slammiversary! The first mention of Slammiversary on June 19th, the company's third anniversary show. One of the greatest pro wrestling pay-per-view names of all time. Let it be known, it was misspelled in The Observer and I fixed it. No, you have to be historically accurate. Change it back. No, Dave was wrong. I fixed Dave's wrongness. Shake my head. So that is the news. So that brings us to broad topics. Let's actually start with Monty and Triton. Given we'll have more to say about Monty in a minute, so we'll get his program out of the way for the month. <laughs> sure. Program is a generous term. So Monty Brown coming off the back of his loss to Jeff Jarrett, coming off the back of his tag team match where he faces uh, Team Canada with DDP. He now moves into a feud with the debuting Triton. He has not technically not debuting. He's Ryan Wilson of the old red shirt security. Black shirt? He was one of the securities. And he's terrible. And now Monty's feuding with him. <laughs> He was a red shirt. So first episode of Impact of the Month, February 18th. Well, first episode of the pay-per-view build. Monty Brown faces Lance Hoyt in the main event. Hoyt goes for a back elbow. Monty catches the hand, hits him with a pounce, and then the lights go out. And then Triton appears. And he points at Monty Brown from the top of the tunnel. And then he Mm -hmm. disappears. And then they cut to the shot from inside the tunnel. And you can actually see his shadow walking away, which happens multiple times this month. (laughs) Sorry. There's multiple levels to why this stingy. Mm. One, it's Triton. He's very bad. Two, this match just ends? Yeah, Lance just disappeared. He's just gone. Was he murdered? <laughs> He's the murder hawk. Oh my god. And also, Spooky. Why are we doing Spooky? He's fucking Spooky Morbius doing his points and his disappearing act. He's Morbius. He wears a long coat and sunglasses, thus he's like Morbius from The Matrix. I thought you were doing a, a, a Jared Leto bit. That's that, that's Morbius. What did I say? You said Morbius. Oh, I did. I have Morbius on the brain. 
<laughs> You're too Morbius pilled. I'm always too Morbius pilled. You can't give me words that are close to Morbius without me saying. You're one Morbius. of those one thousand dollars that came in on that third release or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I saw it in its original run. Thank you very much. I meant to say Morpheus, though he is a little like Morbius in that he's lifeless and dull. <laughs> yeah, tear him down, Garrett. So Monty Brown is not happy about working with Triton. Monty isn't happy in general as, as he feels his push has been scaled back ever since Dutch lost power, even though he did main event a pay-per-view after that. The issue with Triton is that Monty knows he can't carry him to a good match and can't understand why the office would risk exposing him in that planned feud, which I somewhat disagree with. I think Monty's pretty good at this stage, but he is right in that he still needs to be in there with experienced pros, and Triton is not that. It's pretty like interesting that he has kind of like a veteran mentality already. Mm. Like, he knows what things aren't going to be beneficial to him. Yeah, he knows this program, there is no way he comes out looking good. And he is right! Yeah. Next episode, Kid Cash faced Buck Quatermain. My guy! <laughs> Beat him with the moneymaker. Yeah. Great match. Monty was out on commentary for this match, and a very fashionable shirt and pants combo, I must say. Monty's got some good fashion sense. He is a stylish man. Styling and profiling. So, why is, like... The only storylines that Dusty knows how to book involving people in commentary. He does have, like, three ideas. We'll get to that in the pay-per-view with the finishes on in all those matches. But <laughs> he does only have three ideas. Uh, Don West on commentary said, We've seen you pounce a lot of big men. <laughs> I'm not going to expand on that any further. So, yeah, he's on commentary for this match for no reason whatsoever. At least it makes sense when Daniels is on commentary for the X Division matches and the idea is, like, he's scouting or whatever. Whereas, what's Monty doing on commentary for this Kid Cash against Buck Quatermain match? He's scouting Buck Quatermain because he knows that guy's going to be a top star soon. I can't deny it. So, yeah, Cash wins with the moneymaker. Lights go out again. Triton appears at the top of the ramp again and then disappears. I like that Monty's like, let's do it. What's going on? What the hell? (laughs) Monty just wants to fight this nerd and this nerd keeps disappearing. And they did once again do the thing where they cut down the tunnel and you can see his shadow escaping. (laughs) March 4th Impact, Franchise has Monty backstage. Franchise in introducing the promo calls the pay-per-view coming up Final Destination on a pre-tape on this pre-taped show. Yeah. How, how, how is there no, how is nobody standing there being like, uh, franchise, can we start again? The show's called Destination X. And even then, people see it afterwards. I, I wonder, did people even notice? And they're just like, let's just air it. Who cares? I, they probably were like, who, who gives a shit, <laughs> to be honest? Yeah. So then Monty does a promo <laughs> where he's like, Triton, you should talk to your home planet. And he's like, Triton, calling Orson. Triton, calling Orson. Triton? A full bit. He's like, Triton? Have you beaten the alpha male? Why, no, I haven't beaten the alpha male. (laughs) I love it. I think it's great. He goes through the full conversation what he calls the little head people, which I assume are Triton species. Triton? (laughs) The way he says Triton is sensational. (laughs) I think we should call him Triton for the rest of the review. Moral of the story, he will pounce Triton at Destination X. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, we might as well talk about it now. They're trying to do Apollo again. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> and, like, they have the goal to pretend like it's new. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, we got this guy coming in, open door policy. Oh, my God, it's Apollo. Whoa, this guy's crazy. It's like he's been on the show before and he stunk. Why are we pretending? Yeah, the week before... 
the Dusty comes out and he does that promo that Liam just said where he's like the open door policy we have a new person coming in and it is Apollo for not the first time Liam not the second time the third time we're trying this with Apollo fucking I, he's not good just give up like apparently he was a big star in Puerto Rico or at least Mike Tanay told me that much and I'm like how how he has no presence he's like a, a fine worker he has a little he has a nice sidekick he has that going for it and that's it He's big. And by sidekick, I mean kick to the side as opposed to Robin. <laughs> Apollo and Robin. Coming soon that's... to the DCU. Yeah, that's the the film James Gunn announced today, actually. I can't believe James Gunn announced Apollo and Robin. He's also trying with Apollo. He's a big fan of Dusty's booking. Yeah, I remember I watched the, um, that announcement and he was like, you know, the DCU has an open door policy. <laughs> <laughs> If you look closely, try, uh, Apollo's been in, like, four other DC movies, too. No, none of those are canon, Garrett! No, they're all canon, because apparently Flash will reset the universe. Yeah, that's not what canon means. But that that is canon. That's how it, we go from one to the other. It, it is a continuous story, because be a character a flash resets it. point. <laughs> I don't get it. That's a comic book, Garrett. So the reason we bring up Apollo is this main event of the last impact before the pay-per-view, Apollo faces Lance Hoyt. Poor Lance. <laughs> What's, he's like, what am, what am I doing? They're trying with Triton, they're trying with Apollo, and fucking Lance Hoyt is right there. <laughs> also, what a main event. A main event in any arena. This is the main event of the go-home show for the pay-per-view. <laughs> Apollo versus Lance Hoyt with Monty Brown on commentary. During this match, the clock must have broken at some stage because if you watch the countdown timer, they're, they're, they paste a new countdown timer over on top of the original at 8 minutes 6 seconds. Don't know what happened, but I was like, did the font of that clock change? And it turns out the font of the clock did change. <laughs> you said it like Monty. Did the font of that clock change? <laughs> That's the new cadence of this podcast. Triton? I like that you were just staring at the clock waiting for the match to end. Well, the, I, I, the font the font changed. That's what threw me off, Liam, and I'm a, a stickler for fonts. Why didn't they just use the same font? That's the more questionable. I don't know. I don't know. These are the questions I can never answer. I don't know. Cash interfered, but Apollo slapped him. Apollo won with a cutter. Then the lights went out again, but Monty tried to confront <laughs> Triton this time. Triton? <laughs> Ran up the ramp, but this time Triton appeared in the ring. He's spooky. What is the Triton law? He has teleportation powers. Mm-hmm. He has light powers. He sticks his hand out a lot. And he's a bit shite. He's more than a bit shite. That does bring us to Destination X, March 13th, 2005, live on pay-per-view, in which Monty Brown faced Triton in a singles match that was diabolical. I like how you describe this match. <laughs> Yeah, so in the notes, I said, Monty Brown defeated question mark in a match that also featured Triton. Because I guess it wasn't, like, it was a no DQ match (laughs) that was Monty Brown versus someone in a mask. Yeah. And Triton was just beating him up. So these two have a terrible match. Triton is just one of those guys who you look at and you can see there's nothing. There's nothing There's no presence. There's no fire. There's... No understanding of pro wrestling there. He's just a big fella. Yeah, there's no menace, there's no charisma, there's no personality. You look in the eyes of that man. We talked about it with Jay Briscoe. You look in the eyes of that man, it's just, there's nothing there. There is absolutely nothing there with him. He's not a good wrestler, he doesn't have any presence, and as he said, all he has is that he's large, and you can't take that away from him. 
And, like, at least when he was doing the red shirt stuff, he was just, like, dropping dudes on their heads. Mm. Now he doesn't even do that. Well, actually... Are you mistaken with Kevin Northcutt? I know, but they both would do it. Because he was he was a black shirt, I do think. I don't know. They're all they're all the same. Because Kevin Northcutt did drop people on their heads. That was good. All the all these big guys are the same to me. Because now I think red shirts was Northcutt and Legend, and then black shirts was Ryan Wilson and the other guy whose name I don't remember who I liked. <laughs> I don't know, but he did drop Monty on his head. I will give him credit there. <laughs> that was the highlight of the match. So the finish. Mm-hmm. Monty was about to go for the pounce on Triton. When the lights suddenly went out and Triton was gone. (gasps) And lights come back up. A random masked man was in the ring. So Monty just pounced him too. Pinned him. And Rudy was like, I guess I'm going to count. And counted three. So Monty pinned a man who was not in the match after Triton disappeared. Mm. My favorite part, if you watch this and you see like Triton appears at the top of the ramp. And you can see very visibly, he's trying to walk backwards doing his pose to face Monty while he walks down the tunnel. But you can see he's fucking terrified of falling over. <laughs> it would be really funny if he just fell, though. Uh, it would be the ultimate punchline to this Triton wrestling match. Triton! Believe it or not, this is not the worst thing Monty Brown has done this month. Which brings us over to the NWA World Championship match. this month. Oh, the- yes. I was like, what did he do? Which, uh, this month, DDP is our challenger, so they've kind of run through the three people from the Final Resolution 3-way, where he beat Monty, he beat Nash, and now he's wrestling DDP. A good challenger. Yeah, again, like, those are the three guys, they're matches they haven't done, at least in TNA. They're fresh, DDP's a star, DDP still has at least enough left in the tank to have a good match. It's it's, it's a good pay-per-view main on paper. On paper. February 18th, Impact Might Today throws the footage of TNA invading the Super Bowl in the Best Damn Sports Show from February 4th. So this aired even before Against All Odds, or took place before Against All Odds, I guess. So they're on a stage at a Super Bowl party. DDP said Jarrett would be Nash's bitch at Against All Odds, and then Jarrett hit DDP with a guitar. Also, first of all, DDP switching sides, because he said the opposite at the press conference. It's a very good point. He did call him the queen of the mountain. Mmm... And now he's Team Nash. It's a, I, I don't appreciate this. He, he floats with the wind, Diamond Dallas Page. Bang. But yeah, he, Jared hit him with a guitar. He actually tried to hit Nash, but then DDP kind of ended up in the way. I thought it was a good little angle, though, to be fair. In front of a Super Bowl crowd. Jared's doing a lot of, like, outside media at this point. That's Yeah, they want to push that, because they do air the freaking blue-collar TV sketch, and there's a, there's a fun little bit where one of the people on the show is really putting him over strong, but in a way that sounds super forced, and it turns out Jarrett's off-camera making him say nice things about Jarrett. It's a good bit. Yeah. See? Goof! I was looking very closely, because they showed the shot of him hitting somebody on the show with a guitar, and I was like, at what point does he get the splinter in his eye? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He should have worn the glasses! Yeah, the, the Slapnuts glasses are, are very practical when it comes to preventing splinters from eyes. <laughs> it's eye protection. So Dusty comes out later in the show with Tracy and Trinity. He announces that Hardy will face Abyss in a false count anywhere match. They don't yet give it the final assault name. And also announces that Jarrett will defend the title against DDP at Destination X. DDP comes out and he hits the, the one promo he does this month, which is saying, It's time! Over and over again. It's better time! Which, you'd have to be disappointed in that you would have hoped the crowd at the pay-per-view itself were, like, chanting, it's time, but they weren't really. 
No, but they were into everything he was doing in the lead up. Mm, like when he did the like call and response because he's like, it's what? And they put the microphone out. The crowd would be like, it's time. All that went pretty well. Well, like they got to the stage where they were ending his like lines of his promo for him, which was kind of cool. Mm. And the crowd, speaking of chants, chanted, drop the title at Jeff Jarrett during this segment. <laughs> Doesn't get more blatant than that one. They would like him to lose. They brawl. Jarrett wants to hit DDP with a guitar, but DDP dodges. DDP goes to hit Jarrett with it. New Age Outlaw intervenes. Nash makes the save, allowing DDP to drop Jarrett with a diamond cutter. Bang. Dusty Rhodes is pushing for Jarrett to drop the NWA title to Paige at the Marriage pay-per-view. There are opposing forces to Paige getting the title, though. I wonder who. I wonder who those opposing forces could be. Yet everyone agrees the time has come to shift it away from Jarrett just to freshen up the main event matchups. Yeah, that's just that. That's the only reason. It turns out Dusty did not get his way, but let it be known, Dusty wanted to take the belt off and put it on DDP. Yeah, but he should have done it the fucking month before. <laughs> oh, Nash? To Nash, yeah. I'd take Nash over DDP. I'd take anybody over Jarrett at this stage. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd be... I, I don't think DDP would be my answer. I do find that an interesting political conversation here, though, because Jared is obviously minority owner, Dusty is booker, and Dusty is like, drop the belt, and ultimately it comes down to the minority owner wins over the booker. He's like, uh, no. Yeah, he, he does not want to drop the belt, and therefore he does not drop the belt. Dixie! <laughs> that was probably exactly, Dusty wants me to drop the belt! And then Dusty's like, Dixie, <laughs> I want him to jump the bell. Dixie, by the way, at home at this stage, uh, having just had her child. <laughs> Dixie's like, shut up, stop bothering me. <laughs> yeah. These two goofs talking about fucking title changes and she's like with a newborn child. <laughs> Go to Shane Douglas. <laughs> mm. The next episode of Impact February 25, the main event is meant to be DDP versus the New Age Outlaw. DDP's music hits, he comes out. This is the Joutlaw. Jared gets up on the table. DDP goes to meet him. They brawl. Outlaw jumps DDP. Nash comes out. They brawl. Security separates them and let's go off the air. There's a lot of those segments where it's like, two of these guys brawl, the other two guys come out, and then that's all the build. Ah, uh, we call that me and you booking TW. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny when you see, like, the lazy trope show up in actual wrestling shows. It's like, oh, they really don't put much more thought into it, do they? See, my, my thing has always been like, I'm allowed to do it. I'm booking 18 shows in a row as I play this dumb game. You have a week to think of something else. Yeah, and like we talked on the last episode about how there are some tropes that thumbs up you can do the whole time, like like the all-star tag match on a go-home show. Like, timeless, do it every time, I don't care. Good guy finally turns on bad guy and hits him with steel chair and crowd goes nuts. Yeah, timeless, easy to do, works every time. Cinema. <laughs> it is cinema. It's cinema when Kid Cash and Abyss do it, and it's cinema with Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. But... So, like, there are there are shortcuts you could take that I have no problem with, but also when you see, like, the same stuff over and over, it's like, guys, I know you had to film two of these at this stage, so they're going down to tape two one-hour yeah, television they're, they're shows. They're hour shows. <laughs> yeah. Like, just spend a couple days <laughs> just writing down ideas, especially in this current structure that they're going through, where they're not exactly doing multiple pay-per-view stories very often. Mm. Like, just sit down and write out a month of one person's story, and then write another person's month of story, then write another person's, and then make them different. You could plan out your whole month in advance and have them be unique and different stories, instead of just going, same thing every time. 
And they touched on an actual story here. So earlier in that show, Mike Tanay sat down with DDP sitting in the entrance tunnel, which I, I appreciate that they found a unique backdrop for that interview. So they're sitting like backstage in the back of the entrance tunnel and you can see into the impact zone behind them. Cool shot. Mm. So today's sitting there. He asked DDP how he got back into ring shape where he does a little pitch for it wasn't DDP yoga at that stage. It was still yoga for regular guys. Just yoga for the fellas. Yeah, it became more inclusive as time went on. You ever done DDP yoga? I have done DDP yoga. I've done some DDP yoga in my time. It's good. It is good. It is a good workout. Thumbs up. Yoga's fun. So then they pivot to the Jarrett match. DDP talks about how the accumulation of guitar shots he received over his career, particularly in WCW, was what caused his neck to get messed up and cost him millions of dollars and had to retire and took two and a half years off his career. A great story! <laughs> yeah, it's a good, simple, straightforward story where the heel took years off the babyface's career and now the babyface wants to take the title off the heel. Like That's good stuff. Really straightforward that should have been the month of television, not all these fucking brawls. And there's a lot of stuff that's like weirdly Jarrett and Dusty related. And he's like, Dusty's trying to get the belt off me. And it's not really about DDP at all. And you have a nice little story here. Yeah. <sighs> so Dusty comes out on the March 4th episode. He actually opens the show saying that Jarrett has to meet him in the ring later in 30 minutes or he might strip of the title and suspend him. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Which what a, what a perp- that that sounds like an 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 ending that Jarrett would accept. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, strip me from the, of the belt. That's that's fine. The weird thing is later in the show when Dusty did come out to do the promo, he didn't mention anything about the potential suspension and belt stripping. I don't know. This all feels very like fly by the seat of our pants, not planned out at this point. So that segment later, Dusty comes to the ring and he talks about how there will be enemies of Jarrett around ringside for the DDP match in order to maintain fairness. He introduces some of those, the three live crew where some of them, they come out. He then introduces DDP, Dusty gives them like a big pep talk, he delivers the It's Timeline, which then brings out Jeff Jarrett, along with his pals, the Outlaw, Chris Candido, and the Naturals. It runs down all brawl, 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 brawl ends. Brawl, 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 It's like Nash, Outlaw, DDP, and Jarrett, they just brawl. That's all they do all month. A fun note, they recorded the segment twice because there were a problem with the brawl the first time. The reason they recorded it twice with Rhodes, Jarrett, DDP, Zabisco, and Tim Welsh at first. That one was canned because uh, they basically messed up a guitar shot. The guitar didn't break, uh, but they retaped it without the guitar shot. And without Zabisco and Welsh as well. Welsh is uh, the person who plays attorney Daggett. Daggett's a great fake attorney name. It's not too bad, is it? I don't like him as a character, but it's a decent attorney name. He, like all things, he just feels very tacked on to the Jared Act. It's like if he disappeared, the act wouldn't change. He's no smart Mark Sterling. Mm. He's no Joseph Park. So many lawyers. Go home impact. Mike Tanay introduces Jarrett. Jarrett cuts more of a promo on Dusty than DDP. DDP comes out through the crowd. In a reoccurring trend with all of these Jarrett feuds, Jarrett keeps trying to talk and DDP was like, would you ever shut the fuck up? Yeah, like that everyone says this to him. He keeps trying to cut them off, and everyone's just like, shut up! I'm doing my promo! Dusty did it, Nash did it. She's like, dude, shut your mouth so I can do my promo. And then Jared's always like, nah, this is my time! <laughs> DDP talked about how the guitar shots cost him two and a half years of his career, and it is, in fact, time. It's time. 
Turned out it wasn't time. Destination X, main event for the NWA World Championship in a ringside revenge match. Jeff Jarrett defeated DDP to retain the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, it was a match that happened that wasn't very good, especially coming off the fantastic effort against Nash last month. Mm -hmm. As a man who is, as we talked about on the last episode, very pro-interference, talk me through why this interference match is bad, but the month before was good. Because this interference match was worse. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I can't deny the logic. Like, that's just what it is sometimes. Like, I think the interference being a net positive is more on the actual match itself than it is on the idea of having interference. Mm. If you have a match between two good people that has outside interference and story stuff... It's not like it can help raise it, but if you're having a bad match and then you put interference on top of it, it can just make it worse. Mm. This was very cluttered interference, wasn't it? It comes down more simply to just it was a bad match. Like it, it, the the interference wasn't the thing that made it bad. It was a bad match that had interference. Mm. <laughs> so as mentioned, ringside revenge rules means oh, there's a bunch of people at ringside, both allies of Jarrett and of. At DDP, so Tree Life Crew, Monty Brown, The Naturals, and Candido are all ringside along with the outlaw. And Tanae explicitly states, he like looks dead down the camera and is like, this is not a lumberjack match. These people cannot get involved. They are only there mm-hmm. to maintain law and order. What do they do? They all fucking get involved. Like, just do it as a fucking lumberjack. Just do it. Yeah, And like, there there is a ref bump for the actual run-ins. There's run-ins from Sean Waltman and the outlaw. But... There's a lot of the interference right in front of Rudy Charles. <laughs> Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Not a great day for you. Yeah, first you're counting pins on people who aren't in matches, and then you're freaking allowing every interference under the sun here. So BG goes to hit Jarrett with a guitar. There's all sorts of interference and nonsense. The match is no good. The match never even like settles into being a match. Because and I think that's the downside of having all those people at ringside. It's like, just get to the interference. There's no pretense of this even being a wrestling match with all these people at ringside, you know? Yeah, which is like, just do it. <laughs> just have all the run-ins and stuff. Because, like, I don't know, I think that could have helped the match, if anything. The problem is, when these two are out there just trying to work, they're like, this is dull. Also, there's no cellos. That would have helped. So BG goes to hit Jarrett with a guitar, but Jarrett moves and he accidentally hits Conan. Because through the month, there's a little story about Wink. BG uh, is dragged away to talk aside by, by the outlaw. And the outlaw's like, hey, we're, we're just reminiscent about old times. And Conan's all conspiratorial. He's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? I don't know who the outlaw is. Oh, sorry, the Joutlaw. Ah, oh, yes. So here, BG accidentally hits Conan with a guitar. We'll hear more about that in a minute. Uh, Sean Waltman returns for the first time in a month. He runs off the outlaw who interfered. DDP diamond cuttered all the goons. And then the smoke had cleared, everybody was gone except for Jarrett, DDP, and the alpha male Monty Brown. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and then the alpha male's gonna pounce Jarrett, and he's gonna he's gonna help DDP win the title, we're gonna finally get the belt off Jarrett, it's gonna be a, a good moment. That is definitely absolutely positively what happened. Monty Brown swiveled his hips and pounced DDP, helping Jarrett retain as Jarrett and Monty embrace, and Jarrett does his dumbass head point to point out how smart and great he is. Monty Brown has turned heel and aligned himself with Jeff Jarrett. My favorite thing about this was in the watch-along where I go, oh, Monty's not going to turn heel here, is he? (laughs) (laughs) So on the final resolution episode, I did say that the worst creative decision in TNA history is Monty losing, which is probably still true. But to compound that... 
not only does he align with Jeff Jarrett, but he does so by turning heel, is just the absolute dumbest shit. Not only because all we've seen over the last two months in particular is that Monty Brown is actually an awesome baby face. It's very clear as a worker, he was a pretty mediocre heel and he was a really good baby face because he hits big, high impact, cool moves and cuts awesome promos. So this dude is made to be a baby face. And then you turn him heel, and not only do you turn him heel, you align him with the guy he's been trying to beat for months. It's just such fucking dumb, idiotic wrestling bullshit, nearly certainly entirely concocted in order to keep the hot young babyface challenger away from the paranoid NWA champion who doesn't want to drop his title. Which actually could be a good story if it had the right payoff. That's the thing. If they did do that story of Jarrett manipulating Monty and Monty snaps and wins the belt, fine! They didn't! It's just a stupid... When he hits him in the back with a chair and the crowd goes fucking nuts! (laughs) It's just a stupid, pointless swerve for the sake of a swerve, and it just kills Monty. It's a swerve for the sake of backstage politics, is what it is. I'd like, I, it can't be overstated how much this just kills Monty Brown. And it kills my personal interest in him. Because, like, even after he lost to Jared, I was talking about how he did that Team Canada squash that I really enjoyed. Because he just beat the shit out of dudes and he was cool. And now he's just a stupid heel who's going to stand next to Jared as Jared does his same promo when he talks about how he's great and no one's on his level and he loves the NWA title and no one loves the NWA title like he loves the NWA title and he, he lives and breeds this and no one else does. And he does that same promo as the crowd tell him to wrap it up and leave or the crowd tell him to drop the title. And it just kills him. And why would you do this? How could you misread this audience and this guy that badly? How could you look at him, look at his performances over the last two months and think he'll turn? See, that's the problem. I don't don't think that is what they're doing. Mm. I think it is simply just a way of keeping Monty away from Jeff. It's such bullshit. It's such nonsense. It's such useless, terrible booking that should be thrown in the bin because somebody egomaniacally doesn't want to drop the belt. Just have DDP lose. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to do the turn. You can just beat DDP. There's a lot of you could just beat X on this show as well. You could just beat Triton. You could just beat Kevin Nash. You could just beat all these people. Just beat people. You could beat AJ. Maybe not AJ. I actually, you said beat AJ on the watch along. I disagree with that one. I'm fine with them not directly beating AJ. But God, just beat people. Nash already had the out as well with the match stipulation. Mm. Like he just gets cut. <laughs> Let's let's go over to that one. So the build to the outlaw versus Nash, most of which we've already covered. <laughs> yeah, because it's all the same fucking thing. They're all in the same segment as the GDP and Jarrett matches. They brawl a lot. On the go-home show, Dusty and Nash are sitting backstage. Nash is like, hey, back in the old days, Dusty, how'd, <laughs> how'd you settle things back in the good old days? And Dusty's like, daddy, we take our fists and we fight. And Nash is like, Good idea. So Daggert walks up. He wants Dusty arrested. I like Daggert always being like, Dusty, go to jail. <laughs> so Dusty then makes it official that the, the outlaw will face Kevin Nash in a taped fist first blood match at Destination X. And what a match it was. Ugh, all the other build is just the brawls that were in the other segments. So that does bring us to Destination X, in which the outlaw does face Kevin Nash in a taped fist first blood match. T- tell me about this match, Liam. It wasn't good, mm-hmm. but like it was palatable mm-hmm. for most of it. There were some fun moments where it's like, they weren't just going for the head. <laughs> you're like, this is a match where you're trying to make the other person bleed, and you're like, I'm going to 
punching the knee. <laughs> yeah, he starts working over Nash's knees, which is a very novel concept. No one's ever done that. How unique. And then it's the finish that really fucking tears this shit apart, where the Jout Law is bleeding. Mm. And then Daggett and a doctor come in, and they seal the wound. <laughs> but, like, he is pissing blood, and it is barely working, so it takes, like, ten minutes for them to seal this wound and clean him up. Just to be revealed at the end that Nash was also bleeding, and that's how he wins. It's as convoluted and as bad as you think it is. It's one of those where it's like, oh, it's real creative. You know, we have a doctor run out, and he seals the wound, and it turns out that that Nash is bleeding because Jarrett runs out and hits Nash with the belt, which is what causes Nash to bleed. Nash dropped Snake Eyes style the outlaw on the turnbuckle. That's what caused the outlaw to bleed. So you're like, oh, it's so creative. And I put that for inverted commas. It's like, it's a creative finish. But is it a good one? No. Did it work? No. No. What's the point? As you said, you can just beat Nash in a first blood match. You can have Jarrett run in and hit him with the belt. And then the referee sees he's bleeding. That's that's the finish. That's fine. You can just do that. What's with this stupid doctor shit? Why do you do this? It's just convoluted. I think there's like a part of television wrestling mm-hmm. where people think they have to do something big and they have to do like these big dramatic stories and big angles instead of just taking the easy way of doing the like the regular thing that they should be doing and i think it always comes across as like forced and overplanned and this is just an example of that like we are this big television company we have to do big television stuff like the wwe would (laughs) so here we go and it's bad, and it doesn't pay off at all, and everyone looks dumb coming out of it because it took too long, and it was because it was so convoluted. It, it's it's just a bad mix of everything, and I think it's a product of U- United States professional wrestling. I think it goes back to the idea that they're trying to protect Nash, but it's like you can protect him in a way easier and better way. I I usually disagree with even the premise of trying to protect people these days because people see through it. Like, the idea here is, like, oh, we'll get great heat on Kip. Oh, sorry, the Jout Law. And we'll protect Nash. But it turns out, like, everyone knows what's happening here. Everyone knows the company is stealing a good finish. So the heat goes on the company now, because the company did a bullshit shitty finish. Nobody gives a shit about the outlaw, and Nash looks like an idiot. So in trying to protect Nash, you made him look stupid in a bad match. In trying to put heat on Kip, you put heat in your company, and the match sucked. So, like... The just I I think the very premise of trying to quote unquote protect people is just nonsense these days because people just see through it. Even like the post match, like Nash went through all this to avoid losing clean, and he still just hits a jackknife on Kip after the match to get his heat back. Yeah, and he falls. <laughs> he does fall over. Which, to be fair, people again for like Don West, not a good announcer. Don seamlessly points out that Kip worked over the knee and Nash has lost blood, so that's why he fell over doing a jackknife. And like that's good announcing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we covered three pretty bad matches. Let's go to a pretty good one: Abyss and Jeff Hardy. Like none of the build to anything has been good, but this was at least funny. Yep. Which I can respect. All you ask for is at least for the television show to be funny, even if it's not necessarily good. 
Yeah, 100%. So Dusty does come out at the start of the month, announces that it will be Hardy versus Abyss in a false count anywhere match, as said it was named at the time. They turn out to call it a, a final assault. What's the difference between final assault and false count anywhere, you ask? Nothing! See, they got too big for their britches, they came in and they had a better name for TLC, and they're like, we can do it again, and then they didn't. Yeah. Final Assault is not a better name for Falls Count Anywhere. It also doesn't, like, signify with the match rules at all. I guess you're assault. Every match is a Final Assault, then, I guess. <laughs> Any blow-off is a Final Assault. So, February 25, Abyss attacks Jeff Hardy in catering, the segment I kind of love. <laughs> I love it, uh, A, because my boys, Buck Automate and Lex Love It, were just sitting down eating. Yep. And, like, they were brawling, and they were still just sitting there eating. They're like, oh, cool, brawl. <laughs> and then... Jeff got thrown into all of them, and it made a perfect bowling ball sound, and I laughed my ass off. My favorite part was Abyss throws them into the tables, and then he starts stacking the catering tables. <laughs> yeah, it's just on instinct. He's like, I'm going to slam him through multiple tables. But yeah, Hardy tackled Abyss into some tables, which looked deeply unpleasant, and then the segment ended. Yeah. So a note from the torch, Jeff Hardy shows up on time for most shows, but wrestlers say his new habit <laughs> is leaving the building long before the shows come to an end. Which, fine. Yeah, like, I don't know, if you're not booked, go home. You finished your job, you can leave. You don't have to stand at the curtain. That's like old school wrestling bullshit, come on. Especially when you're Jeff Hardy. Also, especially when you're not being paid hourly. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I do think the culture around that has changed, because you often hear about how, like, Smackdown tapings, everyone's gone when something happens at the end of the show. It's like, oh, no one else was there, because the, they did their bit and left. You, you say that, but didn't, like, the Bucks and Kenny get a bunch of shit because they would leave after their segments were done? Well, it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> Ah, true. It's just one of those dumb wrestling things where it's like, yes, if you would like to learn something, you should sit at the curtain and watch the match. But when you're fucking Jeff Hardy or Kenny Omega, go home. Yeah. Manager doesn't say much to Hardy about this. And the assumption is that he will continue to get away with murder because he parties with one of the key office officials. Dot, dot, dot. Also, he's a giant star. (laughs) Also, yeah, this isn't even like of, of the worst of Jeff Hardy behavior. This is right down the bottom. Oh, no, he leaves early. He does his job and leaves, God forbid. This is the month where the the big public blow-up happens between Edge, Lita, and Matt Hardy. And there's some notes, apparently Jeff was shocked and blindsided by it, and he even wrote a song about it right after to help deal with the emotions he felt. Which is very Jeff Hardy. He is such a hot topic boy, isn't he? He really is. And Lita was not pleasant to him, apparently, when he tried to talk to her about it. Well, she was going through it, to be fair. In a very public fashion. Yep. She was like, he. Jeff apparently thought that her and Matt would be together forever. It's wrestling, Jeff. And then they accidentally made Edge a hot heel. And then Edge became a giant star. Mm. And Matt Hardy became a regular star. Matt Hardy more influential, you know. Cinematic matches, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and the Hardy boys. So the March 4th impact ends with my favorite segment of the month. Which is, Abyss is now wandering backstage looking for Hardy because he loves fighting him backstage. <laughs> and then they pan up where <laughs> Jeff Hardy is, is, is just standing on some kind of like, like uh, backstage thing, a height above Abyss. And he's just watching Abyss wander around with binoculars. They should do this angle with Jungle Boy and someone. Somebody is like monitoring Jungle Boy and is like, Jungle Boy in his natural habitat. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, you get like a Dave Attenborough voiceover for it. That'd be great. Mm. That was the entire segment. Abyss being like, where's Hardy? Without speaking. And Hardy with his binoculars being like, I'm watching him. 
He didn't even, like, attack him or dive on him or anything. He nope. just watched him. He's just scouting. Which is great, too, because it's like, as we watch the wild abyss through, the, through his natural <laughs> habitat, the backstage, we see the predator sta- standing atop. <laughs> it's great. It really is like a a documentary, and an nature documentary. We should try and find some David Attenborough audio that actually fits the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Great segment. Top-notch stuff. Uh, then the March 11th impact opens with Raven and Abyss facing Mikey Bats and Cassidy Riley. Awesome. So Abyss press slams Mikey Bats above his head. <laughs> yep. And drops Mikey Bats out to the floor. Yeah. Uh, so there was a guy on Twitter mm. who made a comment like, why would you do this for like nothing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, he's doing it because... A, he's on television in front of more people than he's ever been in front of in his life. And B, he's trying to get money. <laughs> like, he <laughs> wants a guaranteed contract. There is something to be gained from it, and that is consistent work. Yeah, when you're Mikey Bats, you are truly the bottom of the barrel guy. Yeah. And this is how you get noticed. Now, you might think, press down to the floor, you might be thinking he took, like, a chest-first bump that's not no. that bad. Like, no, when, no, when, no. when you're visualizing a guy taking a press slam to the floor... Think about it, you're not visualizing it the right way. Because Mikey Bats turned in the air and landed Oof. flat on his back when he hit the floor after being press slammed from the ring. It's a hell of a bump. He leaves such a splat noise too. It's it's so unpleasant. It's on the Twitter, go watch it. Yeah, at TNA History Pod on Twitter. And then Abyss hits a black hole slam on Cassidy Riley to pick up the win. Good stuff. Also, Raven did a sick kick in this match. Like the Roderick Strong move? Yeah. What are those flying single boots? Also the Carl Anderson? He didn't have the shitty little boots. He didn't. Hardy appeared on the big screen after the match and challenged Abyss to come find him. I guess he never did find him because that's always all of them. <laughs> he was hiding on top of the fucking thing again. They should have done another scene where he's, Abyss is like... <laughs> he's throwing Lex Lovett through the, <laughs> through the catering. Destination X, we then have Hardy versus Abyss in a final assault match and one of the very few good matches on this pay-per-view. Yeah, they hit each other with a bunch of shit and Jeff Hardy jumped off shit. Yeah, Jeff brawled, they brawled backstage. Jeff climbed like there's steel girders in the shape of an X backstage. Hardy climbs it. It's a good 15 feet in the air. and does a swanton off it through a table onto concrete. <laughs> good spot, cool spot. Hardy hit the classic like leg drop over a ladder. Abyss powerbombed Hardy off the top through a table. All very good stuff. I will say the finish was a little bit on the weaker side given the like tone of the match because he just hit a twist of fate on a ladder and pinned him. Yeah, and then, of course, Abyss has to get his heat back. Again, just like the Nash match, yeah, it's like Abyss, he lost to a twist of fate on the ladder, so Abyss jumped hardy after the match, broke out some thumbtacks, and Black Hole slammed him into the thumbtacks, which was a, a sickening-looking bump, because they cut to the shot of his back, where you could see, oh, like, the, the... Torn the fuck up! The hundreds of holes from the shoot thumbtacks, it's like, oh... <laughs> I feel like we didn't see a lot of thumbtacks nowadays. I wonder, do people work them more? There there was a bunch of thumbtacks in the Bully Ray and Josh Alexander match, uh, and you could see after or Jen did, or, or Jay Chung did the Dudley dog her knee landed in the thumbtacks <laughs> and then she posted the photo on Twitter later being like this is what happens when your knee lands in thumbtacks I will keep a mental note of that so yeah don't put your knees in thumbtacks you already have frail knees as it is Liam you can't afford thumbtack knees maybe it'll strengthen them maybe it will then you can hit people with thumbtack knees that'd be sick he should have gone up and done a swanton with all the tacks in his back oh and then they transfer into abyss yeah that would have been sick. That would have been a finish, as opposed to a shitty swanton on a ladder. Twist of fate onto a ladder, no. But yeah, actually, yeah, because yeah, I was about to say, he should have at least hit him with a swanton after. That would have been fine. 
but the twist of fate on a ladder. No, no, thumbs down. Good match. Not a great match, but a good match. And at least Jeff Hardy didn't throw a hissy fit this time. <laughs> a good match that became a great match via proxy of what else was on this show. Yeah, there were two like good matches on the show, and then the rest of the show was absolute dog shit. <laughs> Let's go to the other good match on the show, but not a good build. That's the X Division. I mean, like, define build. There is a lot of matches that build. To the, it's probably the most built-to match in TNA history. <laughs> but it's not a build either. <laughs> like, it's it's just matches with no connective tissue. They're trying to impress Dusty Rhodes, Liam. That's the laziest shit I've ever heard. It's made all the more lazy by it's the exact same thing they did building to the Ultimate X in January. <laughs> Yeah, where they did the exact same Dusty Rhodes is watching these X Division matches looking to be impressed to see who he'll put in Ultimate X and they did the exact same thing here where there's a bunch of X Division matches this month to determine who will enter the Ultimate X Challenge which is a new form of Ultimate X it starts as a tag team match when somebody is eliminated it becomes a triple threat match when another person is eliminated it then becomes a one-on-one Ultimate X match where the person who pulls down the belt wins or retains the X Division title how do you feel about that little wrinkle to the stipulation? That's too much. Too many rules? I'm not someone who's like anti-rules in my wrestling, but this is just... I don't know, just do the ultimate X. (laughs) Does it really matter? It was apparently Daniel's idea, which he pitched to Dusty and Dusty liked it. Oh, it's just unnecessary more than anything, I think. So let's talk about like 100 different X Division matches. Ron Killings defeated Michael Shane on the February 18th episode of Impact. I'm not going to do this. Tell me all about this Ron Killings versus Michael Shane. Alright, Ron Killings had purple pants. This was the last Michael Shane match in TNA history. Was it? Yeah. He never wrestles in TNA as Michael Shane ever again. Ah, what about the Chris Sabin match? He was just Michael. Was he just Michael? Did you not notice that? No, I just... I didn't notice that he was just Michael. He was just Michael. It said Michael versus Chris Sabin, and every time they refer to him, they simply refer to him as Michael. Why? Did they get sued again? So, you remember the the Gemini? Yeah. One of whom is Mike Shane? Uh, Apparently, it turns out, he apparently had the trademark of that all along. And if you remember, he was the NWA tag champion when TNA were formed, the Shane brothers. And TNA not only stripped them of the belts, but put them in a penis costume. Yep. Because <laughs> they became the Johnsons. Yep. So apparently, surely out of spite, he enforced the trademark and said, you can't use Michael Shane anymore. <laughs> How do you, like, what a stupid name to trademark. Mike Shane. Like the most fucking generic bullshit. My name's Bob Johnson and I'm going <laughs> to fucking trademark it. Mike Shane. Well, you're the Shane brothers with the other Shane, whose name I don't remember. The Gemini. Okay. The Johnsons. How silly. It's all right, Matt Bentley's a better name anyway. That is why Michael Shane dropped the name Michael Shane. This was his last Michael Shane match. Uh, Kazarian pulled Killings off the apron, punched him. Frankie interfered again, but then Truth pushed Shane into him, hit the axe kick. Killings picks up the win. Uh, Ron Killings is moving to the X Division. He was apparently strongly against the move, but will be part of the Ultimate X match. Not for long. This is his only time in the X Division. He's only here for a month. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I think he should be happy, but I guess he probably wants to do, like, heavyweight real wrestling stuff. I feel like he would be the opposite of AJ, wouldn't he? Where AJ's like, oh, thank fucking God I can have a match with Chris Saban. (laughs) 
<laughs> Whereas Ron Killings is like, why am I wrestling these lower card nerds? Yeah. More about position than match quality. Franchise has Daniels on that show. Daniels talks about how he had it won at the end of the 30-minute Iron Man match. But Franchise did remind Daniels that Daniels was the one who asked for the overtime period. Yeah. I actually thought that was a pretty good little backstage segment between the two. Mm. It's a good use of, like, because WWE, their interviewers never have a response. (laughs) They're literally, my guest at this time is blah, and the person does their promo. Whereas I kind of like that there is a line where you don't want the, the, the interviewer to overly undercut the heel. But if the heel's spouting a bunch of bullshit, I kind of like the, the interviewer being like, wait a minute. No, you asked for the overtime period. I think Renee's the best at that. Mm. She like, she can challenge them enough where it actually becomes an interesting segment. Yeah. But she doesn't like overstate it and become part of the, the whole thing. Unless she's specifically meant to be like in the hangman stuff. Mm. Uh, Daniels then complains that he has to earn a spot at Destination X rather than be put into that Ultimate X match automatically. God, Chris Saban was all over this month and did, like, nothing. He had a bunch of three-minute television matches. Also, he won- he was, like, the most winningest of the month. He should have just been in the Ultimate X. <laughs> so later in that show, it was Chris Candido versus Sharkboy versus Chris Saban in a three-way. <laughs> Tell me all about this match, Lee. <laughs> uh, no. Styles is on commentary. He was not very good. Well, he's not very good at speaking. He's really not. He just doesn't seem to have, like, a sharp brain. Or a shark brain. That's true. If there's someone in this match that does have a shark brain. But, like, it, it just, like, the thoughts don't come to him fast enough. So he tries to, like, make points and then stops and stutters and doesn't really know what he's saying. I don't think, like, it's, it's just kind of, that's, like, that's just kind of who he is as a person. Yeah, I don't really mean it as a slight. It's just how his brain works. And then he's out there yeah, trying he... to do like what Daniels does much better, which is like come up with organic points and play off to Nan West. He gets flustered very quickly. Yeah, and then he just kind of gets lost. And then he says a slur. <laughs> he's only done that once so far. No, he's done that three times. <laughs> this company, he's done it once. Okay. <laughs> uh... Do you remember when he did it as IWGP champion? <laughs> <laughs> like 20 While wearing the belt? <laughs> AJ, sweet, sweet AJ. Don't call him sweet. He might, <laughs> he might get a get aggressive with you. The gay community. The gay community. That is Imagine me. that being like part of your legacy. <laughs> <laughs> the gay community is part of my legacy, Liam. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh. There was a, a spot where Candino just was like tossed over the ropes. You know, he charged at Saban and Saban did the thing where he just tosses him over. And he took the most wild pump, <laughs> flung himself over at a million miles an hour. I did love the finish of this match. Or mm. Saban has Sharkboy in a reverse figure four so that he wasn't facing Sharkboy while he had him in a submission. And then Candido snuck in and pinned Sharkboy and got the win. I bet there was some Candido pitching too. Absolutely. Like that's that's one of those clever little ideas that positively came from Chris Candido. Candido's been fun. I've enjoyed his run here and now he's linking up with the Naturals, which has for some reason always been an association that I've had in my mind. Yeah, I guess there's nowhere else to talk about it. Earlier on the show, the Naturals do face Buck Quatermain and Lex love it. There's not much Naturals. My guys! Uh, Buck, Buck and Lex lose. Boo! <laughs> because this is where the Naturals come out, accompanied by Chris Candido. They also did it on the pre-show of the last pay-per-view. Uh, and Candido's turning around their recent run of results. And they do here where they, they beat them with a natural disaster. After Buck and Lex hit stereo Falcon Arrows. Yeah, they're my guys. What can I say? I gotta admit, I really do like the Naturals finish. Yeah, I'm surprised no one's ever stolen it. It's real. It's pretty, pretty solid. 
Like the Naturals haven't been on a a major stage in God, fifteen years. So the, the finish is right mm. there for the taking. But yeah, they hit the Natural Disaster on Lover for the win, and also hit it on Quatermain after the match. Yeah, I like them picking him up and doing it again. The edgy Naturals. Yeah, sure. They should get Young Bucks like emo gear when they turn heel or whatever. Send them to Hot Topic. February twenty-five. Chris Sabin defeated Cassidy Riley. Won with the Cradle Shock. Again, the most winningest guy. Uh, Kid Cash also defeated Buck Quatermain. Elix Skipper defeated Chris Candido. All of these were wrestling matches that did happen. That's the problem. Like, they're all just little two-star affairs. Mm. Was Sabin on every episode this... He was. He was a busy boy. <laughs> Doing nothing. It's it's a... What a crazy mix. The, the highlight of the Sabin-Cassidy-Riley match was Sabin went for a standing Hurricane Rana. And Riley decided to plant himself in his head. <laughs> The highlight of this match for me was it felt like Chris Sabin was facing alternate reality Chris Sabin. That's true. Cassie already does have like Chris Sabin but two years ago vibes. He he has uh, Chris Sabin but from California vibes. Mm. So Skipper defeated the Candido. The Naturals interfered, grabbing Skipper's leg, knocking him off the top of prime time. Hit his rope walk right now, followed by the sudden death for the win. Like, why couldn't they have just done like a mini tournament, you know? Instead of just aimless matches that Dusty is supposedly watching. Well, like qualifiers or something, you know? You don't even have, like, the moment where Dusty's like, oh, I was really impressed by this wrestler for yeah, this Yeah, like a reason. backstage segment where he has, like, a whiteboard next to his truck, and he's, like, crossing names off. He's like, ooh, it was impressive, but he uh, got pinned here. Like, Candido won the first match, but he lost the second. How does that weigh in? Like, Saban's won every singles match so far, but he did lose the three-way and the, and the tag. But he didn't get pinned in the three-way. You could have made this interesting. Yeah, but instead they just randomly announce at the end of the month that two guys are in the match and then have a match for the last spot. <laughs> I did appreciate the main event of this show. I thought it was a nice little TV match, which is better than everything else in the show. <laughs> it was Daniels and Shazarian against Sonny Siaki, Ron Killings, and AJ Styles. Uh, Frankie's last match in TNA for now. Forever. I felt like I heard the, um, the Naturals and Shazarian's theme music a thousand times this month. Well, you would have heard Michael Shane's a few times, yeah. Because, like, every time I looked down, I, just, I think I just, I was, like, started hearing, I tell a lie, by the way. He was still Michael Shane here. It's the next match. So this is the last Michael Shane match. Damn it. <laughs> so the other match doesn't even have the interesting point to be the last Michael Shane match. There is nothing. So this is the last Michael Shane match in TNA history. So he done killing. Siaki hit the rope, allowing Kaz to grab his leg. Shane followed with a super kick. Shane picks up the win here. Killings did one of my favorite things where he got in Zaguri and he did a flip bump. I do appreciate that. He's putting the effort in despite not wanting to be in it. I actually thought this match kind of slapped. Yeah, because I, I, I was about to make the note that a lot of the time with impact matches is like they'll do the entrances, they'll do the first minute of the match, they'll go to a break, they'll come back five minutes into the match. Yeah. And then the match will be two more minutes after that. Whereas for this one, like they did the entrances and before the opening bell... They then went to a break and came back and aired the full, like, eight-minute match uninterrupted. And it's uh, just that little touch, that little touch of airing a full match uninterrupted. It wasn't, like, blow the doors off, but it was six good wrestlers, of varying degrees, but six good wrestlers having a good wrestling match, a good TV main event. And like, we've always said this is the kind of position where Siaki would shine. Yeah, where he throws the people around. When he's just the sixth man in a multi-man. Also, AJ does the flying forearm here, but he does it as a double cross chop. Good job. New move. Uh, but yeah, Shane got the win. Yeah. Which I thought this was kind of good. Yeah, three-star main event, which is better than nearly all but one. 
of the matches this month on TV. And like the third best match in total. Yeah. <laughs> March 4th Impact opens with Chris Sabin against Michael. He's just called Michael. Michael, no Shane. Uh, Saban wins with the Cradle Shock. I also thought they, they worked hard here. I thought they had a, a better match than a lot of the other quote-unquote qualifiers, I guess. Saban still does the Cradle Shock really good. Yeah, and by better I mean two and three quarter stars. Uh, Chris Candido and the Naturals face PD Williams, Elix Skipper, and Mikey Bats. The big point on commentary was how Skipper didn't like having to team with PD, even though he beat PD on the pay-per-view. Bats had the pin after an Inziguri, but Candido dropped a headbutt and then drop Stevens on top of Bats for the win so Kenny the Naturals continue to pick up some momentum. PD taking a big backseat this month. A lot of people like AMW disappear. We'll talk about that in a sec but they just disappear altogether. They're barely on this month. Well even like Team Canada are around but they're not really doing a lot until they're shoehorned into a pay-per-view match. Uh, that whole pay-per-view build feels very added on at the last minute. Like Johnny Devine does get hurt this month. So there, there is, like, that match is up in the air, but I think it's always going to be some combination of that, whether it's a six-man tag or it turns out A1 is added to Team Canada for the match to make it an eight-man tag. So, like, they they do know they're doing Team Canada versus Triel K and AMW in some form, but they also they never build to it. So, well, they do, but very little. But they don't. A touch I did like was that the main event of this episode is AJ Styles defending the X Division title against Kid Cash. We might as well, like, put the tag stuff into this, too, because it is, like, that is, like, one angle at the end. Yeah, but we'll we'll give it the 30 seconds by itself after we do the X oh, Division. It, that it deserves. <laughs> of course. Um, I did like the little touch that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Styles would be in the X Division title match at the pay-per-view. <laughs> That's stupid. I thought it was a neat little wrinkle, this, like, oh, you know, the champion feels like he has a right to be there, but he has to earn his way in. Also, he wrestled Kid Cash in a damn good TV main event. You know what? You've sold me. That is a good idea. Thank you. Mostly because it was a good wrestling match on television. Which is appreciative. Because <laughs> this went uh, a little longer than 15 minutes, I think of which we saw about 10. It went through two commercial breaks, which I think is the first match in the history of the television show to go through two commercial breaks. Possibly. Yeah, 30 minute time because it is a title match. Daniels is on commentary as well. And he reinforces that he had AJ beat at the end of the match. Which is true. And uh, Maitane is like, how is it favoritism? He's making Styles defend the title too. He's making Styles earn his way into this match. And Daniels is like, this is Dusty trying to deflect the, the criticisms of being a golden boy. I see right through him. That <laughs> is a good like um, way around it. Mm. It's, as I said, it's, it's almost weird to get, like, a real match on Impact. Like, two guys having a real TV main event. Well, it definitely stands out. Where it's, like, Brain Busters and Tornado DDTs and Springboard Hurricane Ranas and Dives to the Floor and Interference from Dallas and all the stuff you'd expect from a Kid Cash and AJ match. It might be actually AJ and Kid Cash's best match, or at least as good as their other matches. About the same. I don't think it was deliberate, but AJ went for his springboard reverse DDT and Cash dropped his head and accidentally headbutted AJ in the balls. <laughs> I think it was deliberate. I think it was a sensational low blow because like, they didn't actually follow it up with it. AJ did sell it. No, I, I, I don't think it was a structured part of the match. Mm. <laughs> I do think it was deliberate. <laughs> oh, you're suggesting Kid Cash has perhaps gone into business for himself. He's like, I'm going to hit him in the dick. <laughs> But I thought it was a cool low blow. I thought, listen, whether or not they did it on purpose or did it on purpose on purpose, it's a cool low blow. It's a cool way to to incorporate a a low blow that has plausible deniability on multiple fronts. Hmm. So Dallas tried to interfere. Styles hit him with a forearm. Daniels tripped Styles, allowing Cash to go for the moneymaker, but Styles reversed into a jackknife cover for the win. Yeah, good, 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 good TV main event. Good stuff. 
do more of this. Why don't you do more of this? That's always the thing. I say this all the time, but my my idea of lazy booking is like, what if we give AJ Styles Kit Cash 15 minutes on my event? Yeah, but like that's good lazy booking. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's like, instead of filling it with 15 like half-assed segments, why don't we just give two good wrestlers time in the main event? <laughs> on every show. Do it all the time. People like good wrestling. The shocker. No, he's someone else. We'll get to him. Uh, March 11th Impact. We're told that Edith Skipper and Ron Killings are the two people who have been automatically qualified into the Ultimate X match. I don't... Like, Killings won a singles match and lost a tag. Skipper won a match somewhere. Did we skip it? Or no, he beat Candido. We did talk about that briefly. Yeah, he beat Candido. So he won one singles match. And Saban, who didn't lose a match and won two singles matches, has to qualify. Okay, it makes no sense. <laughs> so Daniels faces Saban to qualify for Ultimate X, which, if you remember, was also the match to determine the qualifier for Ultimate X back in January. It's like it also was kind of disappointing. Like, give them the fifteen as well. <laughs> they had a really good close to fifteen minute match in January too. Yeah, and here they had about four, and it was fine. It was as good as a four minute Daniels and Chris Saban match is going to be. Uh, Daniels missed the BME. Saban got a near fall out of the same pin that he beat Daniels with back in January, which is a small touch I did appreciate that these guys are at least putting in that little callback. But then Daniels hit the Angels' wings for the win after using the referee to escape from a cradle shock. All of which <laughs> led to some bullshit. Built to the Ultimate X Challenge at Destination X, in which Christopher Daniels defeated AJ Styles, either Skipper on Ron Killings to become the new X Division champion. Uh, I love the way that Daniels won this. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get through the, the match first. I, I appreciate it, like they pointed out on commentary, that the, the match started, obviously, as a tag team match, and the tag teams were determined to be Daniels and Killings and against Skipper and Styles, and they pointed out that Daniels and Skipper would not be allowed on the same team because, obviously, Triple X broke up. Yeah. They're illegally an out-loud team. I guess it could have been Styles and Daniels against Skipper and uh, Killings, but... That would have been too stacked. <laughs> Styles and Daniels, unfair advantage. That's where they would have learned to team. So Triple X kind of slyly worked as a team. Skipper eliminated Killings with a sudden death after Daniels saved Skipper from elimination. I, I did like when it got down to the three-way, they were like, well, wait a minute. We can do dumb spots off the cables that wouldn't make sense in a regular Ultimate X match. But because this phase of the match is a three-way match where it's pinfall or submission until they get down to the final two, we can just mm. do some wacky shit. Yeah, we can go all out here. So Daniel climbs the cables, hits a moonsault off the cables, a wild spot, which I also appreciate Don West to help to explain, where he was like, they were standing below him looking up because they were like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't win the match. And then he moonsaulted on them. Yeah. Once again, a good commentator. They had some good ideas in this. Mm, Styles, uh, on the topic of good ideas, execution didn't quite come off. Styles tried to hit a shooting star off the cables. Which is so dangerous. <laughs> it is. Like, there's no... Like, stable thing to stand on. Yeah. Or be attached to in any way. And, and there, there's no way to get, like, the forward momentum off the cables to, like, shooting star forward. Which he learned the hard way by doing, trying to do it. So, he like, he tried to shooting star and he kind of floated over on the cables. And then he just kind of did a shooting star. And it looked fine. But it's, like, too creative for your own good there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, Daniels foolishly betrayed Skipper. And then after Skipper hit the sudden death, Daniels rolled him up to eliminate him. So it came down to Styles and Daniels for the X Division title, Ultimate X Rules. Daniels hit an STO off the cables. They keep climbing and falling and climbing and falling, and you can take the finish from here, though. 
Well, the finish here is that AJ wins. Mm-hmm. AJ gets the belt down, but the ref is down. And because Daniels is a big son of a bitch, he just lays AJ out, grabs the belt, and pretends that he was the one who took it down. And then when uh, the ref gets up, he's like, oh, Daniels must have gotten it down. Makes sense. My favorite thing is he looks at him holding the belt and looks back up to make sure that was the real belt. Because mm. what if he just put a replica in and was like, I got it down. And he calls it for Daniels. I think this is kind of a perfect way for Daniels to win the title. Because it's like a sleazeball, backhanded way of doing it without him just actually straight up winning. This is done in a creative way, so I like it. And it was believable. It wasn't some like overly complicated thing like we saw in the, the first blood match. Yeah, it's like there was a ref bump. Styles just went up and got the belt. Daniels just hit him with an angel's wings, picked up the belt, and was declared winner. It, it's like, mm. how could you do this finish in the least number of steps is the exact way they did it. And thumbs up. They've done a couple really good uh, Ultimate X finishes with the, like, Petey grabbing the belt in the middle, too. Mm. And it's probably a problem with the structure of the show in that this match came straight after the Joutlaw against Nash. And, <laughs> and it's the exact same finish, where a dude wins, supposedly, and then is screwed out of it. But that's that's Dusty for you. He has two ideas. But yeah, I like the idea that, like, Daniels can't beat Styles. He just can't. Styles is just better than him. So he has to find find cheap ways to do it. But he did beat him in, in in a certain way. Yeah. He outsmarted him. He has the brains. He points to his head. <laughs> no, that's Jeff Jarrett. Point, point, point. Tag team division, Liam. There isn't one. <laughs> it completely disappears. Oh, what about Shocker? Oh, yeah, the other X division match on the pay-per-view. Thrown on for absolutely no reason. But I guess it's thematic, given the entire month is pointless X division matches. It's Chris Sabin mm-hmm. versus Chase Stevens on the pay-per-view. It sure happened. Despite interference from Candido and Andy Douglas, Saban hits a... Does the page scroll down? No. A cradle. Saban grabbed a cradle rather than a cradle shock. Not a cradle shock. (laughs) Just a regular cradle for the win. And then a masked mystery man appeared, ran wild, made the save, pulled his mask off to reveal himself to be Shocker. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Shocker. He had that theme too. Were you Shockered? I was Shockered. I like how this match is only on the pay-per-view for Shocker to debut. There's no other reason for it to exist. Understandable. There's no reason for these two men to be wrestling other than Shocker to come out at the end. So Mike Tanay yeah. explains that Shocker is the guy from the McDonald's commercial, which was where Dusty Rhodes saw him and thought he was charismatic. And then Mike Tanay reenacts the McDonald's commercial when he's on camera <laughs> with Don West, where he's like, you know, the guy from the McDonald's commercial, and he's trying to put the Big Mac in his mouth, and the mask is on, and he has to pull it off. You remember, you remember that? Yeah. They should have Mike uh, interpret and, and and reenact ads more often. I appreciate it. What other famous ads do you want to see him reenact? The Sting Sprite one where he beats up the kid? Oh, that, that's a good ad. Yeah, you should do that. You should do the Coca-Cola Christmas ad where he is the truck. Do you have that ad? Uh, it's not coming to me. Or like the Coca-Cola truck is driving through town and all the Christmas lights come on and everyone's like, give me my Christmas Coca-Cola and that's Santa. No... Yeah, he should do that. What's your what's your famous Australian ads? Where the bloody hell are you? Put a shrimp on the barbie for you. That seems like just every rap Australian. There's the I still call Australia home one. Mm-hmm. Do you think Mike Tanay could have done that? Sure. He doesn't call Australia home. He would be lying. There's a great like beer ad that we have mm-hmm. where it's like, This is a... Da, da, <laughs> Singing da, jingles, da, da, da. yeah! <laughs> yeah, and, um, and it's just like a bunch of like dudes running across the Australian outback but there's so many of them it's kind of like insane mm. after we finish this podcast we're gonna watch a bunch of Australian ads okay it's a bunch of Guinness ads you can tell the li- the listeners 
what your favorite one was after this. Mm. Could do a Barry's tea ad. Those are pretty famous here. I wonder if I can get the Vegemite ad lyrics. <laughs> you gonna sing the Vegemite ad? Yeah, it had. A, it's we are happy little Vegemites. You are a happy little Vegemite. I say that about you all the time. I gotta find the actual ad because I can't do it without the backing. <laughs> can't do it a cappella. <laughs> can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Is it problematic or can you just not do it? We're happy little Vegemites, <laughs> as bright as bright can be. We all enjoy our Vegemite for breakfast, lunch, and tea. <laughs> There's more to it, but I can't do it. You have a beautiful singing voice. Thank you. <laughs> the, oh, there's the aeroplane jelly one. Uh, I like aeroplane jelly. Aeroplane jelly for me. Keep going. I, I actually need the lyrics. That was just all I remembered. <laughs> Here we go. Early. Oh my god, she has way more oomph on it than I did it with. Aeroplane jelly for me. I like it for dinner. I like it for tea. This is the same ad. A little each day is a good recipe. I like aeroplane jelly. Aeroplane jelly for me. There you go. Thank you. Well done. I like how both of those ads were like breakfast, lunch, and tea. You actually sung so high-pitched there that people will hear it in the recording, because we record our audio locally, but Skype cut out, so... <laughs> <laughs> I was I was reenacting the little girl in the 1930s ad. Mm. AMW and 3 Live Crew Against Team Canada, that's the thing that happened this month. Yeah, who gives a shite? February 18th, Impact, Dustin and AMW were looking for a bull rope in Dusty's truck. They found it and gave Tracy a signed contract for a Dustin and Raven bull rope match at Destination X. We'll also do the bull rope match here, because that's the same build, apparently. Then, a, mm-hmm. a, a classic TNA segment happened. <laughs> so after this, Tracy is sitting alone in the truck, and Abyss shows up. She was cleaning up the mess that AMW made. That's fair. Abyss takes the contract for a title match that he won in the Full Metal Mayhem match against Jeff Hardy. Which is like... Wet? Yeah, it's like torn and wet. Who knows what Abyss has been doing with this contract? He bathed with it. That's one thing. He took that contract. He stuffed it in Tracy's pants. He then hit his pose and he left. (laughs) My favorite part was him hitting his pose. Uh, It's actually good continuity that it was wet because of how wet Abyss is at all times. uh, That makes sense. Yeah, maybe he just kept it in his wet pockets. (laughs) I'm not going to make the joke. He actually doesn't get his number one contender match. So maybe it's, uh, Dusty's like, actually, the wetness makes it null and void because I'm not touching yeah, that This shit. is a voided contract. Because <laughs> he, he wrestles Styles in a number one contender's match at lockdown. And he never gets his title match. He won a title match. He's been er, he's owed a title match. Give my man his title match. Next show, Franchise has Raven. He talks about the bull rope match. Raven's like, I'm actually pretty okay with it being a bull rope match. I've done worse. Hmm. Then talks about he is the most unforgiving person on the planet and will set Dustin free by destroying him. I like how he went back to his rhyming bullshit. Mm. Management is souring on Raven. (laughs) (laughs) Just knowing what's about to happen. As they blame him, not Dustin, for the quality of their recent matches. I wonder why. Fucking stupid. The general assumption is that Raven asked to work with Dustin in the hopes it would score points with Dusty, but it backfired. Okay. <laughs> Dustin Rhodes faces Eric Young on the March 4th show. Trunks Eric. Tanae takes a little shot at WWE here. He's like, 
we did Piper's Pit months ago because I assume they announced they were doing Piper's Pit. It's the Austin one for WrestleMania in 2005. Yeah. Which is unhinged, by the way. <laughs> well, Tremendous angle. Go listen to it. This era of Piper, what more could you expect? They just let him go out there. After this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they saw the TNA segments and were like, let's just cut him loose. Put him in there with Austin. <laughs> but today is like, we influenced the wrestling world. We did it first, then other people do- As if he fucking invented Piper's Pit. <laughs> Where did Piper's Pit first start? Just like we were like, we invented covering 2010 TNA. Mike Tanae was like, never mind the WWF in the 1980s. We invented Piper's Pit. It's true. We did. We invented Piper's Pit. So there's a moment in this match where Young jumps off the top rope and the, the spot is meant to be Dustin catches him and Atomic drops him, but Dustin is completely lost and Young basically does the move himself. Young... He tries, man. He, he like, grabs Dustin's arm, lifts himself up, and Atomic drops himself. Bless him. Rhodes hit a super kick, but Rude jumped on the apron. AMW came down to even the odds. Dustin hit Demore with a bulldog and then followed with a power slam for the win on Young. TNA officials were under the impression Piper was just doing WrestleMania and would be returning to TNA shortly after that. That could wind up happening like that. But if it does, it will probably only be if, if WWE doesn't want to use Piper any longer. So TNA are like, he's, he's, he's only going there for a little while. Yeah, yeah he'll, be, he'll be back. They want him back for some reason. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's just fun to be around. Oh, I forgot in the last show, there's a Team Canada against Dustin and AMW match. <laughs> Who cares? Demore tried to interfere, Dustin backdrops him, Divine actually does hit Dustin with the hockey stick, and then Harris tries to clean house, but he gets Northern Lariated. For the rude win. It was a great Northern Lariat though to be fair. I love the Northern Lariat. It's a cool move. I like that it's a Hanson reference too. I kind of get why no one does it. Because if you do it wrong you do actually just close on somebody in the back of the head. And also like if the sell isn't good it kind of looks like shit too. Like it's a very 50-50 move. And I guess it's hard to sell because by, by design you can't see the dude coming. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a finish but I think it's a great sig. Mm. Good move for Rude. The March 11th Impact, one that's cut off Impact Plus if you watch it, so you you won't see the segment unless you watch the original broadcast version. <laughs> AMW and Dustin yeah. Rhodes were in Dusty's truck. With... Send us $50 and we'll give you the original broadcast. They were having a great old time in Dusty's truck with Tracy and Trinity. They were up to all sorts of antics and shenanigans and giggling. <sighs> AMW and Dustin were just having a good time with Tracy and Trinity. You don't know that. That's true, I guess I don't. Team Canada showed up, Demore challenged him to a fight as AMW appeared to accept setting up the pay-per-view match. So that gives us two pay-per-view matches, Liam, to talk about. The opener of which was Team Canada, the team of Bobby Roode, Eric Young, Petey Williams, and A1, defeating America's Most Wanted and the three-life crew combination of B. James Conan. Like, maybe the third best match on the card. It was a high-energy, perfectly fine little opener. Conan pressed slams Demore off the top, then got caught with an ordinariate. As Team Canada get, a, I think, a much-needed win. They've kind of just been, like, perennial losers and roadblocks for the babyfaces, so they kind of do need to actually get some heat behind them. It felt like they were getting that way before when everyone was picking up titles and stuff, and then that was only used for that one month. But let's get some movement on this. I love Demore's antics in this match. His face, when he got, like, <laughs> beaten up, he's just like, ah! <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about how you can beat Team Canada a lot, and you really can, but you can't beat them all the time. Yeah. You gotta give him these little wins. And then Dustin Rhodes defeated Raven in a bull rope match. Well, you love this match, so why don't you talk about it? Uh, I think I gave it two and a quarter. Yeah, I gave it 1.45. <laughs> 
<laughs> the well-known wrestling rating of 1.45. Yep, out of 10. We should, it's out of 5, but we should do hyper granularity, where it's like down to like the fifth decimal point on all ratings. Yep. Uh, the crowd at the start of the match start tauntingly chanting gold dust at Dustin. Uh-huh. They have thoroughly turned on him. The classic Raven was reluctant to put the bull rope on, but then put it on. At one stage, Dustin was choking Raven with the bull rope, and Don West on commentary was just like, you know, he's been choked by worse, so he's probably fine with this. Kinky. He's been in Hangman Horrors matches. Oh. <laughs> we are talking about wrestling here, Liam. <laughs> I mean, I believe it both ways. <laughs> but I'm perfectly sure that he has also been choked in other capacities, but we are strictly speaking about wrestling. Put it on pay-per-view, we'll see how it does. <laughs> It'd probably do better than this show did. Raven had a chair, Dustin accidentally punched it, but then just hit his bulldog immediately after for the win. To audible booze. Crowd was not happy Evie this, Raven. Like, this show sucked. <laughs> like, it was... This was, like, the downfall, too. This was the first match where you're like... The first two, they're like, whatever. They probably shouldn't have just been on the show. But they ended up being, like, two of the better matches on the show. And then this was just, like, the beginning of the end. Mm. So, yeah, Dustin went over. Team Canada attack after the match. AMW made the save. Let's talk about John Fairplay, because then we can end it with some fun discussion about what the worst match in TNA history might be. <laughs> so, TNA loved their show-running angles on pay-per-view. The one on Destination X was the return of Johnny Fairplay. Uh, I didn't mind him on this show. Just, a, again, a dork. He did have some funny bits. Yeah. So, he came back, and he go- he goes up to Dusty and the girls, and he's like, Ah, these harlotans, they screwed me. I had the clue. I should be here. And they're like, you should we give him a chance? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, he just goes around, and he's trying to become a manager so he can stick around. And he finds my boys, Lex and Buck, and is like, hey, you guys want to get managed? And they're like... Well, we can't get much lower. <laughs> Maybe we should consider it. Yeah, so Dusty's like, listen, these two brought in tag teams, so you go find yourself a tag team and you can say. So he approaches AMW and they're like, they apply a saddle to him and then James Storm rides him? Kinky. There's a lot of kinky stuff going on. Put that on the Raven pay-per-view. <laughs> he approaches Team Canada, draped in a Canadian flag, and they're like, go away. And then he comes back, it's like, no, 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 hear this! And he's like, oh, Canada! Oh, Canada! Na, 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 na. I'm a native land. He doesn't get that far, he only knows the old Canada bitch before they chase him off. I like that he went to a team that has a manager. Yeah, but he was like, you got five guys, you can spare two for me, right? <laughs> give me A1, and give me Divine. An injured Johnny Divine. But yeah, as you mentioned, he went to Quarterman and Love It in the end, and they're like, I guess. You can get us contracts? They're like, why not? Mm. What, have, what have we got to lose? That is your Johnny Fairplay update for the month. Now? No, there's one more thing we have to talk about that I forgot about. <laughs> there's the return of David Young. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's one thing I like in this whole David Young bit, mm. is when, again, he's begging for another opportunity. And, of course, his girl... Trinity comes in as like, come on, give me one shot. The the NYC lives forever. Yeah, like, and she like, if you think about it, she tries to give him a win. Like, she's like, put him against Shark Boy. <laughs> yeah, like he, he might be able to do it. And he, she was right. He, he did do it. Mm. So I appreciate. There's a couple moments of that. Like, there's a moment where is it Michael Shane also goes to the back and like. He talks to Tracy specifically. Yeah. The girls are in power now, and, like, all of their old flames are like, come on, help us out. That is also the segment where Michael Shane officially dubs himself Matt Bentley. Yes. Which must have been very confusing, but he's not, because he's not like, I'm Matt Bentley now, that's my name. He's like, and you will hear from Matt Bentley. And Tracy should have just been like, who? Well, no, Tracy knows. He's like, oh, that's what he calls himself in his free time. It is his shoot name, so. Yeah, so, yeah. 
she knows she's on very personal terms. Very, as we've as we've seen from history in the company. Yeah, on the Go Home Show, David Young does defeat uh, Shark Boy with the help of Chris Candido and the Naturals. Can't wait to see where this is going. I like the way the last two matches on the Go Home Show were David Young versus Shark Boy and Apollo versus Lance Hoyt. Now uh, this is this is for us people who survived two thousand and three. <laughs> And the last story. So running through the last few episodes, Dusty has been trying to decide between Trinity and Tracy as his special assistant, his secretary, if you will. And he has said that both should go find tag teams and they can face off and the winning tag team will determine who will be his secretary. He's like, listen, we have no tag division. Mm. Please go recruit. There is, like, the, the worst of the Dusty segments is actually, we didn't mention the Fair Play one, the one where he's like, Fair Play, go get me a tag team. Then Dusty gives Tracy a little kiss, and Trinity sits there and sulks. Hmm. And Dusty's like, let me give you a little sugar too. Uh, Once again, a reminder, he's the booker. Uh, They're probably fine with it. Probably. I I also kind of love them. Mm. Like, I think Tracy and Trinity are so much fun on these shows. They should, frankly, replace Dusty as bookers or as as authority. They figures. should be co-bookers. They should be co-authority figures. Mm. I, I like this whole storyline. All I want is for Tracy and Trinity to end up being like, you know what? We rule. Fuck this guy. <laughs> so February eighteenth, Impact Trinity's team of Phi Delta Slam, Bru- Big Bruno, and Big Till face Mikey Bats. <laughs> Kid Romeo. I kind of love these dorks. So yeah, they're dressed in like frat outfits. Because they're Phi Delta Slam. And they both slam. look like 45. <laughs> yeah, they're both men in their 40s. The only reason they're in this spot is because they drive dusty roads around the place. Awesome. Which is great. Um, a great ploy by Trinity. Ah, yeah, pandering to Dusty. She's smart. Yeah. That's why she got the kiss. <laughs> no, she didn't get the kiss. It was Tracy that got the kiss. Well, blatant favoritism. So uh, Bruno hit a powerbomb. Till hit a big, rope, uh, big top rope splash. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I was, it was like watching three minute warning. <laughs> His tsunami splashed on Romeo for the win. I didn't know that anyone other than Jonah had called up the tsunami. He stole it. For, he's watching his big till tapes. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of anyone sitting down and studying big till is so fucking funny. <laughs> Ordered his fucking big till comp on the internet. <laughs> you know, ever everyone knows. That when you go to the performance center, day one, you go in there, you sit down, you watch the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Iron Man, yep. you watch Bailey and Sasha, and then the third match is Big Till. <laughs> they teach you how to do the big splash. A best of Big Till compilation. Oh. <laughs> the other team is much worse. I'm going to say it from the beginning, I've always loathed this team. What do you? I loathe them. So Lex Lovett and Buckwater. No! <laughs> March 11th Impact. They face, by the way, if you watch this, this match is also not on the Impact Plus version. So you're saved from this one. Uh, Lex Lovett and Buckwater main face the Tracy combination of the Disciples of Destruction, who you might be like, I don't know who they are. They're the Harris Bros. Yes, you do. They're, they're called Dodd, but they should be called Dud. Ah, owned. Well done. You should be very proud of yourself. Thank you, the one live fan who pays $50 a month to listen to this show live in my room, who was clapping for that. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, he doesn't get to speak. Cool. It's Big Till. It's Big Till. <laughs> Big fan of Big Till on the podcast. The Harris Bros are doing like their fake Undertaker biker gimmick. 
It's like two biker takers. Yeah, they're two biker takers. They come in on their bikes with Tracy. I like to call them as two Chuck Palumbos. As Tracy also has a bandana now. I gotta say, Trinity's ahead of the game right now. Oh, Fight Delta Slammer ahead of the Harris Bros? Yeah. Uh, they went with the H-bomb before Fight Delta Slam attacked. Till went for his big splash. But the, <laughs> the H-bomb. The Harris Bro avoided it. Which does bring us to Destination X. <laughs> in which the Disciples of Destruction faced Phi Delta Slam to determine who would be Dusty Rhodes' secretary. Yep. Well, to be fair, we don't know for sure because Buck Waterman and Lex Lover could beat the winner of this match. That's true. At any opportunity. And it could be Johnny Fairplay. Yes. <laughs> I hope if Johnny Fairplay wins, he gets treated with the same sexual harassment cases that Trinity and Tracy have been building up. Yeah. He gets a kiss too. <laughs> he kisses Johnny Fairplay and Tracy and Trinity like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Give Johnny Fairplay a little sugar too. <laughs> this is so shit. <laughs> So, in a moment that made me irrationally mad, <laughs> actually quite rationally mad if you think about it. So, Trinity goes up top. Oh, yeah. She hasn't hit her big moonsault in a good while. So, she goes up top. She hits the moonsault on one of the Harris bros. I couldn't be bothered working out which because they both stink. But she hits the moonsault and he's meant to catch her and throw her in the front row. She is like a tiny 100 pound woman. He is mm. like a 6'7 Hulkin human being. And he fucking drops her. <laughs> Yeah. She does a moonsault off the top, and this useless piece of shit drops her. I'm like, get out of the business. This guy's like a 15-year pro or whatever at this stage, and you cannot catch a tiny woman. Kick him out of the business. Like, legitimately, if he came backstage after he did that, I'd be like, don't come back. Yeah. You, Go back on tour. You useless piece of shit. And I don't, he didn't come back. They don't wrestle again, so maybe they did say that. But uh, Harris Bros win with a boot, a shitty boot, to Bruno. So Tracy's the secretary now, apparently. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> and that is it. That's the terrible month that was March 2005. Like, the stretch of matches on this pay-per-view, where you get Dustin and Raven, which isn't the worst, but it's not exactly good. Then you get the Disciples of Destruction versus Fight Delta Slam, which is a bad wrestling match. And then you get Monty Brown versus Triton, which is a terrible wrestling match. And at that point, after you also got Saban against Stevens, which was fine, and the opening eight-man tag, which was fine, you just wanted to die. Yeah, it's it's really just just a terrible, terrible, the worst TNA pay-per-view so far. And you get the, the small reprieve that is Hardy and Abyss, and then it gets shit again with the Joutlaw versus Kevin Nash. With another dud! <laughs> and then you get the small reprieve that is Ultimate X. Then you get the shitty Jarrett DDP main event with the horrible Monty Brown swerve. For reference... Garrett Kidney of TNA Wrestling Knowledge Hall of Fame <laughs> he said that the Phi Delta Slam versus the Disciples of Destruction match may be the worst match in TNA history. Yeah. Then we watched this show, and there's two matches he has less than that match. Yeah. It's not a good show. <sighs> it's really quite a bad one, but that's it. If you would like to listen to the watch-along where we did lose our mind a lot... <laughs> Again, you don't need to watch the show with it. You're fine. We we talked about Big Till comp tapes and fucking Liam Sang Australian ads and somehow that watch-along is still more unhinged than this podcast was. Oh, like, like, like triples. It, like, it's not even the same league. So tnhad.com, patreon.com slash kidding me for the watch-along of Destination X. We'll be back in about a week with our second episode of PWG. 
And we'll be back in about two weeks with the Lockdown 2005 episode, Liam. They ended the show with the ad for Lockdown, where it was only at that stage two matches inside the Six Sides of Steel. Uh, I love Six Sides of Steel. It's a very um, good word to say. Also, Rain Takers will be coming up soon, because New Beginning is soon. Yeah, we'll have a, a New Beginning episode of Rain Takers from 2013. Coming up in the next week or two, that's your Patreon stuff. Patreon.com slash gettingmeyourteenagehat.com. Follow us on Twitter at TN History Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. Follow Liam on Twitter at The Gleet Muta. Subscribe to us on YouTube at You've Got to Be Kidding Me. Or follow us on TikTok at TNA History. Thanks for listening, and bye bye. Hello there, my name's Neil David, and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed, check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP and join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.